Hey, what's up? Hydraberg here, a cut above horror review. We're continuing our Creepy Children Month by covering 1956's The Bad Seed with special guest Rob from Circle of Jerks podcast. So grab your tapping shoes and a handful of matches because it starts now. Cut my life into pieces. Good evening and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host Jacqueline and tonight we'll be reviewing the film The Bad Seed from 1956. But first let's meet everybody else on the show. First up, I'm happy to welcome back our good friend Rob from the Circle of Jerks podcast. Thanks for coming back. What's going Rob. on everybody? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I'm I'm uh, representing the channel tonight. Andy couldn't make it. so uh, But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that you guys brought me back on. We're doing a movie that I really love um, that I actually did know something about. Unlike last time prom night, I had never seen that before, but uh, yeah, this is a lot of fun. I'm, I, I'm glad to be back. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. I cannot, you, you told us before we started recording that you have pages of notes and I, uh, I do, I, I do have pages. <laughs> of notes. I, I have stuff on all our main characters. I have all sorts of pre-production and uh, movie notes. So <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I did a lot of research on the movie. You want to just do the show by yourself? Because like you probably have <laughs> way more than I have written down. So like I could just leave. <laughs> no, no, we need you, Jacqueline. We need you. <laughs> but seriously, I can't wait to hear everything in your notes. Um, and I can't wait to hear about your like personal experience with this movie. Okay, yeah. Looking forward to talking about it. Nice. And next up, we got Hydraberg. What's going on, Hydraberg? What's going on, guys? Uh, thanks for coming back on, Rob. You big jerk. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, uh, it's, well, we, you and I have been talking quite a bit. Like you, you've oh, been yeah. on our channel a, a few times. So it's we just yes. did, uh, you know, the thing. You know, we did uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Uh, Jacqueline, we're gonna have you on. I already, I already have questions lined up for your interview. I just we need to figure out a movie and a time that we can uh, get that together. Awesome! Um, I can't wait. I have a huge deadline at work coming up very soon and like a couple of people have asked me to come on different shows and stuff and it's like broken my heart to have to be like no 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 I can't so in just a couple weeks I will be free as a bird for anybody who wants to have me on the show so we'll make it happen we'll make it happen (laughs) we'll figure out a movie that we'll we'll be when we end we'll figure out a movie that you want to come on and review with us so okay all right I'm happy to review anything I'm just happy to watch movies and talk about them so whatever y'all pick is fine with me Sweet. No, we'll we'll make it we'll make it something special to you. So we'll we'll do something special. Okay. <laughs> Yay. Love it. All right. Yeah, Hydraberg. It's weird. You're in a different spot on my screen. This yeah, week. I know. You're on oh, you're weird. on my left hand, like upper left corner. That's normally where John goes. And then Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're normally on my upper left corner. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> whoa. Whoa. Very trippy. I should have I should have worn my San Diego Padres hat to represent John since he's not here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We wouldn't know the difference. All right, fellas. Uh, so, Rob, would you like to tell our listeners, in case they didn't hear about it the first time you were on our show a few months ago, um, you want to tell folks about your podcast and where they can find you, what it's all about? Yeah. Uh, so we are the Circle of Jerks podcast. Um, it's me and my friend. Anna. So if you listen to the prom night episode, go back, watch that. That's a fun episode. That uh, episode you, was a blast, man. Really good. Yeah, you can uh, you can hear uh, hear him. Um, but uh, yeah, our channel we do a live stream every Tuesday. We do kind of stuff, uh, maybe news topics that interest us. We'll talk about them. 
we'll sometimes lately we've been coming up with a lot of different thought exercises philosophical discussions been having a lot of fun with that and uh we also do a weekly movie review and we always have some sort of theme month uh this month we are doing uh memory march so all the movies that we're dealing with have something to do with um memory loss or like trying to regain their memory so uh last week we did uh, a movie i had never seen but i bought uh in my blu-ray um uh extravaganza we got shock uh, samuel fuller's shock corridor we did that last week this uh tomorrow we're doing the born identity uh we're gonna do the father the uh the new recent anthony hopkins film that he won the uh the academy award for and um uh memoir of a murderer which is a korean a south korean film from i think it's like 2015 or something like that so okay oh so, yeah that's what we're, we're that's what we're going to be doing up this month um, we just released our review of Whiplash uh, with our friend, uh, with our friend James, uh, who's you know one of our kind of he's like our Nicole, you know he's kind of always kind of mm-hmm. on our channel, and we just recorded a review of Alien because uh, from 1979 we're going to be doing a whole retrospective of the Alien franchise, which is one of my favorites. Uh, Heidelberg's going to be coming, yeah, Heidelberg's going to come on to do Alien, so fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we do for our channel. Uh, we do have, we, we have a separate segment for like when we bring on our guests, we'll do, uh, you know, if they're new, we'll do an interview with them. We'll review a movie. Uh, the live stream is me and Andy. And, um, for those who like video games, uh, I, we haven't done it in a little while, but I do a, a video game, uh, let's play channel with, uh, called, uh, up by up down all of our, all of our, the uh, the live stream is also called nocturnal transmissions everything is a double entendre so <laughs> we like a lot of wordplay on our channel we like that too we're big fans <laughs> yeah you guys have a, have a lot show. going on yeah you guys have a lot going on you pack a lot of awesome content into all your stuff and um as you may know i love a theme i just love a theme and uh, we always I- have a theme going on I, I, I don't know that. why. I just, I really like that. It kind of gives you like a framework to work within. And like when you have multiple movies in the month of, of the same theme, oh, yeah. compare different stuff going on and what is this one doing that that one didn't do and vice versa. I love the idea of a memory march. That is a really cool idea for a theme. Was that your yeah. idea or? No, it was, yeah, I'm usually the one that like now Andy has, does come up with the ideas for the movies sometimes, but I'm usually the one that kind of figures out what we're going to be doing uh, sometimes he'll chime in and say, oh, I like this theme. Let's do this movie. Have you thought about that one? And it's like, yeah, let's do it. And he's always had some a lot of really great uh, input on that one. Um, yeah, like last, uh, was it last month for February, we did uh, our Hollywood Couples Month. Uh, so every film was these classic Hollywood couples that starred in the film together. So like we had uh, Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward in Paris Blues. We had Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall in uh, Key Largo. You know, so we we did all, that is all so cool. like that. Great yeah. idea. Jacqueline, I think you're right, too. Like that. Um, I don't know. You pick a theme and it builds like a framework where like you can you can view all these different types of movies from different eras too that deal with that, that, you know, that theme in particular, whichever you've picked. And then I think like you, Rob, um, you and Andy both, you guys cover like so many different types of films, too. It's not just one genre or one error like you guys go way back you you cover yeah. a lot of different stuff i'm i'm very impressed by 
Yeah, we we do all sort like I said we because we don't want to just uh, I mean I I do love horror yeah like yeah like and I love I, I like I literally every Tuesday I'm putting you guys in to listen to because it's I, I love your guys' show, but for for us like we don't want to necessarily be locked into one genre in um, yeah. you know we we like to expand our horizons we're yeah andy and i are always like hey i've never seen this have you nope let's well, let's check it out maybe it sucks maybe it doesn't and we've we've uh, had a few movies where it's like this is awful <laughs> but, uh, well we also did a uh uh last october we did schlocktober so we we i chose sp- uh, specifically bad movies um yeah when you How came did andy cope prominent. with that theme yeah, so we had we had a lot of fun doing that one. Uh, I I movies that would not like make Andy quit on me. <laughs> like oh, okay. if, if if I had my choice, we would have done like Mano's Hands of Fate or you know mm-hmm. so, something awful like that. But no, we uh, we stuck with stuff that I felt was movies that could be redeemed. And w- what we did with it is we tried to figure out like, okay, the movie's bad. Why did it go? Why was it bad? And what would have made it better? And so we we had that discussion about the movie too um like wild wild we did wild wild west we did uh cop out uh i forgot what the other ones we did were but like those are movies that are could be redeemed but like if if it not had been for a few different decisions uh yeah they went off the rails god wild wild west pissed me off so much i really hate that movie (laughs) yeah that movie was not good uh, um, especially, especially when I figured, found out that I didn't realize that it was a 1960s television show, which is essentially Mission Impossible in the Wild West, and it's fucking awesome. I, I ended up watching the first season. And I was like, "This is great." <laughs> now yeah. I understand why the movie sucked so bad and why people hated it so much. That's a Will Smith movie, and I believe today is the. Uh, I think it's a year anniversary that he slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah the, the Oscars are currently happening. I believe right Jamie now. Lee Curtis won an Oscar tonight. Did she really? Speaking of prom night, yeah, I think For, uh, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, is that best that's supporting? Awesome. Yeah, best supporting actress, and I think that's uh, fairly deserving. You know, it's she deserves. Uh, you know, maybe because really she gets loved on this other stuff that she's done. She's had such a great uh, uh, um, time in Hollywood. She's been working forever, and so why not? Why not give her an Oscar? She deserves it. I, I would agree with that for sure. That makes me. That really like brightens my day. That's that's a that's good news. Yeah, she, gets it. she deserves it. So, Rob, real quick, I want to go back to Memory March real quick. Um, when you first described the, the the thought behind that theme for the month, my first thought, maybe this is too obvious, but the first thing I thought of was Memento. Was we that too obvious of a choice? We've already covered it. Yeah. Ah, okay. We, uh, what did we do? Well, I, I forgot the same the, thing, Tim, Jacqueline, when we spoke. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot the theme that we did, we did with, uh, Memento. I, I, Tattoos? I <laughs> Joey Pants? It was something, yeah, there was some, uh, there was some theme that we did with that, but yeah, no, we've already covered Memento. That's my oh, okay. second favorite movie of all time. It's, I, know, I it's fucking so love good. that movie. Uh, it is so good. Uh, that's, that's the movie that really started turning me into a cinephile. Like, that, that movie really changed my whole mind mindset about movies. Yeah. So what's the first? Christopher what's Nolan into like my, oh, that would be on the, the, radar Casa, the, the great uh, Casablanca from Casablanca. 1941. Okay. That's my all-time favorite movie. I just, okay. I think it's I think it's the best movie ever made. Wait, it's, it's not just, it's not Prom Night. <laughs> Prom Night is definitely one of my favorite horror films. It's great. I, I actually I, really did enjoy that movie a lot and enjoyed. I think Lou's um, Unibrow was up for best supporting actor. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, that's the thing about this film that we're going to be talking about today. There was not enough unibrow. I'm, uh, mm. I know. There never is. That's a, that's that's a that's a mark against it. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so so glad to hear um, about all the great stuff you guys are doing. Um, if you haven't watched their channel on YouTube, please go check it out. It's there's tons of great stuff there, and again, not just horror, but just lots of great movies. And I have to admit, I'm a little jealous of you guys because there are a lot of times, just on a normal day, when I think about a movie I really love, I'm like, oh, I really want to talk about that on the podcast, but it's not horror. If you, I'm like, now, God if damn want, it, I need to start another podcast. You know, when you when you come on, if you want to do a non horror film, let me know. We'll we'll do it. Okay, I'm going to start a separate list then of non-horror okay, movies. You should. I love I love all you know types of movies. Well, most types of movies, but um, you know, horror is my favorite. But I love a lot of other movies too. And there are just so many times during a week or during a day when I'm like, oh, I love that movie. Like we but, talk Tetsuo, which is like not necessarily straight up horror. It's just like right. a weird sci-fi film. The thing, oh, yeah. the um, the thing from another world that is. But like I, when I was on G Baby's uh, waxing the, the porpoise, the two times I've been on, we we talked films that were sort of. Uh, Fallen could be seen as a thriller horror, but like Matchstick Men wasn't at all. So yeah, yeah, I do kind of like the fact that we can guess somewhere else and talk about other genres of movies. Yeah. I'm still, sh- I'm still shocked that that's a really Scott film. I was like, that's just so unlike him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, fellas, are you about ready for some news? Let's do it. All Let's right. I got some news for you. So. Scream 6, we mentioned this briefly before we started recording, but uh, Scream 6 came out just a couple of days ago uh, on March 10th. And if you guys didn't know, it has set a box office record for the franchise, opening at $44.5 million wow. its first weekend. Hey, that's great. Yeah. That's really so, good, especially post-COVID now that we've started, like people are really going back to the theaters, it seems. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a little shocked because it outdid last year's scream kind of requel which um had a 30 million dollar opening weekend and uh bloody disgusting has a list of all the you know box office totals for opening weekend for the whole franchise so you guys might get a kick out of this because it seems so low now but looking back to the very first scream film in 1996 opening weekend six million dollars that's insane it was unheard of exactly it was and it was word of mouth that probably spread that Got people in the seats, you know, to see it. And that's just exactly. opening weekend. That's not total box office. Right, right, right. Yeah, just opening weekend. But for us, it seems like such a, a touchstone, you know. Um, but yeah, at the time, I mean, it's hard to imagine a pre-Scream world. But yeah, when it came out, it was brand new. Nobody heard of it. It wasn't such a powerhouse. So $6 million. Scream 2, $32 million opening weekend. Scream 3, $34 million. Scream 4, $18 million. Ouch. Mm. It's that, but that Scream Four is pretty good. I I really like it. It is, yeah. Yeah, I I really like that one too. So, um, yeah, Hyderberg, didn't you go see Scream the other night? I did. I saw it as well as uh, Rob. You saw it also. Yeah. Oh, so unlike the last time, where you know, I last time, you know, I'm I'm six years old and now I'm seven because (laughs) yeah, you're eight years old now, (laughs) at least grown two years. So, fellas, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, I ended up seeing the new. So now I've seen all the Scream films. I saw the new, the new one. I was so happy that it was getting a lot of buzz on Twitter. That, like people were really enjoying it. So that's it's, it's good to see. It's a good, mm-hmm. it's a really guys. I, I, I see why it's so popular. Awesome. Well, so without any spoilers, because I haven't I haven't seen it yet. And I'm sure a lot of listeners haven't either just yet. But overall, thumbs up, thumbs down. Does it fuck? Does it suck? 
It fucks. Uh, <laughs> Heidelberg is ever I'm the naysayer. Big, I'm not ever a big scream guy. Like I, for, I forgot my rose tinted glasses when I went to go see this one, so <sighs> I didn't have them on when I watched it. But what are we um, gonna do with you? I, I, it's look. It's I think you should go to the theater to see it if you like scream at all because it's a fun theater to watch. But there's some choices made in this movie that I have problem with, and I think uh, I don't know. Feel it. It feels like it's rushed. And I'm I'm concerned about the next one too because that's only coming out a year from now also. So it's oh, like, has that already been? Is announced? there going to be a screen Apparently. seven? Yeah, oh, it's already been green lit, and it's all like it's going down. So I don't know. Now that yeah. I would be concerned about seven. That would be. I'm wondering what they're going to do with that. I hope they don't rush it because I could see with the way that this ended. I'm like, I don't really know where they can go from here. I just feel like if you've seen most of the screen movies then you've seen a lot of the stuff that they're doing in this film, you know what I mean? But that's, people love it. They keep coming back. They like the tropiness of, of, of scream. It, it's weird. Cause it's a film that makes uh, it, you know, it, it, it talks about tropes in other horror films. That's part of it. You know, it's, it's appeal, but it's also fallen into those same tropes a little bit for me as a fan. So it's like, whether they mean it or not, you know, um, mm-hmm. but I like the cast. I like the new, the new guys, the the new cast. I thought they're oh, Jenna Ortega. Yeah, she's great. I could look at her for two hours. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I like yeah. Samantha. I like I like you know the jokes mostly landed, and um, it was New York. They showed a bodega without a cat, so that just seemed a little off to me. Uh, without a cat? <laughs> yeah. Is this the equivalent of John being mad about people's breath not showing in Silent Night? Well, I mean, you're based. It's in supposed the... to be the Midwest. I, I actually stole breath? that joke from Shaggy Black. <laughs> All right, fellas. So while we're on the topic of Scream, I thought this was an interesting little tidbit. Jenna Ortega was on a podcast and she gave us a horror movie recommendation. Uh, She was asked about what a good movie might be to pair with Scream 6. And she said something along the lines of, I'm not sure if this would be like a perfect pair with it, but she said, I'm really into the movie Deep Red right now. Um, You guys know Dario Argento's Deep Red, like a giallo. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Oh, it's pretty good, man. It's Yeah, it's pretty like widely respected. I would say like most people who enjoy Jalo, um, pretty, pretty unanimously. Um, it's got a great sound. Is, like, is that like what would you consider like because I've heard that term before. Is that like the because the, we there are like spaghetti westerns. It's the equivalent is of it, that it, for is, horror. Is, so it's the t- oh, OK, so Jalo is like uh, spaghetti horror, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in a way, it's... yeah. And it has kind of its own hallmarks that are associated with it, like um an unknown killer. It's, it's slashery. Yeah, it's 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 slasher-y, but also there's kind of like often a detective element to mm-hmm. it and um it has, POV you know, of the killer and some yes. fantastic gore in a lot of the movies too. Yeah, like technicolor gore and yeah. yeah. And really so, cool great. like music. Oh, yes. I have a whole new genre to check out. Some Great. wild, some wild plots too. Some plots that just go in a place where you're like, you're watching it. It's like, oh, it's a guy with a knife, and then all of a sudden, some crazy shit happens. You're like, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> so don't don't get too hung up on that sort of thing. Just yeah. let it happen. Experience well, it. Spaghetti westerns are weird too, and we we've done a few of those ourselves. So I'm I'm all for it. Yeah. So yeah, you all those could cowboys eating spaghetti. Just... Always, I always thought that was odd to me. <laughs> but yeah, there there That's are what they places. Call them. <laughs> <laughs> there are worse places to start with Jalo than Deep Red. So like that's a pretty good starting point if you want to kind of 
get into that subgenre. But and Nora Ortega um, can tell me whatever she wants me to watch. I, I'm, I'm in. It's listen, a pretty good listen, film. I actually I bought it recently on 4K, mm-hmm. and uh, Joe Bob covered it. That was the first time I ever saw it. Was when Joe Bob covered it. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it on? Is it on? Uh, um, Drive-in. Yeah, it is on the last drive-in. Sweet. Okay, I'm gonna check it out then. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody, listen to your pal Jenna and check out Deep Red. She said, um, "It's a '70s slasher masked killer. You don't know who it is. Epic deaths, disco music playing during the deaths. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a good time and beautifully shot." So that's I thought a that was deep kind of pull, a... I feel like from her. I like that. Yeah. Well, well, a lot of her. That's a good. That's a good recommendation. Yeah. So I like. I think that kind of gives her some credibility, you Absolutely. know, as as a horror fan. So that's that's pretty cool that she knows that because she's young you know, too. So. She's very young. So yeah. for her to know that, I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. And the thing is, there's there's a lot of performers in horror films who aren't really into horror. And so it's cool, you know, when you find out that somebody in a movie that you like is also a fan of the genre, too, because it's not necessarily a given. So I thought that was a cool little tidbit. But uh, yeah, that was that was in a podcast interview that she did. I'm going to have to check it out. She, she sounds very interesting. I, Do you I, know I what like, podcast I really it was? Like this uh, let, me, let me look real quick. It was on... There's a couple. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, sorry. It wasn't on a podcast. It was an interview with Bloody Disgusting. Okay. Uh, okay. The reason I thought it was a podcast was speaking of prom night earlier um, in the article, it says that she was on an episode of a podcast called Hot Ones where Mm. she Mm -hmm. talked about how much she loves prom night. So, hey, all right. (laughs) Damn. Jenna Ortega just went up. Racking up the cred. Yeah. Racking up the cred. She loves, she loves Lou. That's her favorite character, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously the best part of the movie. all right uh my last news story for you guys i am not a gamer at all like zero video game experience do i have since like original nes and super mario brothers and duck hunt and tetris but that's why you brought me on right yes so you guys you guys will probably care about this or even understand what it's saying because i don't entirely but it sounded like something you guys would and probably some other listeners would know so the resident evil 4 remake uh will be officially coming out on march 24th i believe yes march 24th but there is a chainsaw demo quote unquote that is available it has no time restrictions and the interesting thing about that is there is a secret extreme difficulty level um called mad chainsaw mode and it you stumble upon it accidentally it's not something you can force happen um it just kind of randomly unlocks when you start a new game not every time but just Mm. whenever you start whenever you start a new game it could unlock for you and the way you the way you know you're entering it there's a warning screen and it says extreme difficulty mad chainsaw mode incoming accept challenge or decline challenge and so you can you know take part in that as of now, it sounds like that is not going to be part of the official release in March, but maybe, you know, depending on response to it. That sounds like a, a difficulty mode. You would have to beat the game on like normal first. And then, yeah, that's that, yeah, that's what usually happens. But I think it's kind of cool that they're doing that for the demo, because I think they want people to you know take a look at the game. They want to see like uh, <clears throat> they want more eyes and you know players coming to it because they're going to figure out where the bugs are at and like, you know, having that demo out there, they'll be able to fix that stuff before the actual game comes out. And I think that's a great way to get people to, especially huge, you know, resident evil fans. They're going to be flocking to play that game. Mm-hmm. I didn't play the demo. Yeah. But you did or did not? No, I haven't. I've played that game. 
that game's been re-released on like every con you can buy it on your phone right now mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it came out a while back in, on like the gamecube in like 2003 and it's an amazing game um mm -hmm. it really is it's 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 changed game design um a lot since it came out too like so many games nowadays have um have like uis and certain things that they do camera angles that were taken from the design of that game so it um it changed the the genre a little bit and gaming in, ge in general and also just the the series and itself it took it in a different direction mm -hmm. um it's a it's a lot of fun it looks amazing now and they've they've updated it and the chainsaw thing is a nod to there's a character who like chases you around with a chainsaw so he's like a mix of like uh jason Voorhees and um leatherface so he's got a chainsaw he's a hulking beast but he's got like a burlap sack on his face sort of like jason if i'm not mistaken and they're very hard to take down mm. yeah. well it says in this difficulty mode enemies will be beefed up um on top of having additional health the villagers will be more aggressive and their placement in the world will also be mixed up to top it off the chainsaw wielding dr salvador will be switched out for a stronger variant that swings a flaming chainsaw oh my god and there are no checkpoints. So if you die, oh, it's yeah. game over. And you have to try to activate it all over again in a new game. So Good old that's, NES that's difficulty. <laughs> game over, man. Game, game over. over. <laughs> that sounds pretty pretty fun. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, I learned so I much just from that article alone. Like, I didn't know that there were demos of video games released ahead of the official thing. Been, I didn't know that there were remakes of video yeah. games. Like I'm just it's opening up a whole new Oh world. yeah, don't don't even give me Oh yeah, it's just like Hollywood. They're remaking these things. I had just no like idea. Movies. I had no idea. Yeah. It, although I, I think with games, the remakes for games are better than when it than like when movies are remade because they can be yeah. as as the you know consoles progress, like it's harder for people to go back to the NES or to some of the older generations of Xbox or PlayStation. And especially if a game has been like, there, it, there was not a lot of copies released. Those games get fucking expensive. So having like these remakes come out um, is kind of a great way for, you know, a new generation to come back to try these older games. So it's not, it's not a perfect system, but like, it's, it's kind of nice that they're doing that um the demos are somewhat of a more recent thing they there actually used to be physical releases of demos in like playstation magazine or whatever like of stuff that they wanted people to try out how but, do you know that uh, you're only seven years old i don't I <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? I know. you must have read about it yeah, yeah i read about it somewhere in a gaming magazine yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but uh so yeah so just like in the the film industry video games do the same thing yeah, and they do prey on your nostalgia a little bit, like this game is doing. But this game looks like it's going to be just as good as it originally was, if not better now, with updated graphics and new gameplay and stuff like that. So, uh, and a but, flaming yeah. chainsaw. Yeah, I mean, how could you say no to a flaming chainsaw? I couldn't. Yeah. So I so I won't. <laughs> if if uh, Texas Chainsaw Twenty Twenty Two had a flaming chainsaw, it might have been a better movie. Would have made it better. Yeah. I no, it wouldn't. But anyway, um, so that's <laughs> that's all I have for news, you guys. Um, shall we move on to the bad seed? Ooh, sure. The bad seed. All right. Well, I chose this movie. Why did I choose it? Good question. Yes. Why did um, you? <laughs> well, first of all, this is very on brand for me. Like going back to like a black and white, you know, fifties thing. That's that's very Jacqueline. I think. I think we're kindred um, spirits, Jacqueline. Probably. Probably. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, I thought, you know, if we're doing this theme of creepy children, if I try to think back to like some root kind of like early examples of that, this was the first thing that came to, to mind as like the quintessential classic early, you know, creepy child movie or bad child. Yeah, this is well. probably the first one. So it's 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 the first one I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, if I spent, you know, a couple hours thinking about it, maybe I'd come up with something else. But this one is, you know, the most obvious in terms of, you know, an early example. So I thought it would be a good one just to kind of hit something classic and, you know, explore some of the roots of this kind of trope. So, yeah. So I decided to go with it. I, I haven't seen it for about 15 years. I've seen it a couple times, but long ago. So I remembered the premise and some of the details of the setup of the story, but I had completely forgotten everything about the last like 10, 15 minutes. So, um, so in a way it was, it was partly like watching it, you know, with fresh eyes. So, um, but that's we'll, how we'll I watched about. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is my first time. Oh, cool. Okay. Can't All wait right. to hear your thoughts about that. So do you, you guys think, want to... mm-hmm. I was going to say, do you think that this film fucks or does it suck? There, I think there are some things about this movie that get in its way, um, which you know we'll talk about in detail. I, oh, yeah. I think I think it has <laughs> a lot going for it. It's it's obviously classic. Um, it's important in a lot of ways, and it does some I think kind of um, I don't know revolutionary might be too strong of a word, but it definitely does some new things for the time that I think must have been quite shocking in its day. Um, that yeah. said, it's not always easy to watch in terms of like our, well, I'll talk about what those terms are later. But so for now, I'll just say it fucks, but kind of like how I imagine Bill Clinton fucks. Like <laughs> with a saxophone it in his might hand? Not be, it might not be like with super, a cigar. It might not be done super well or like with great execution, but you feel like you've experienced something important or no. Yeah, and he'll leave a lasting mark on your dress. <laughs> oh. Or Just your like, tap Hey-o. shoes. Yeah. Or your tap shoes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob, does this film fuck or suck? Uh, well, it does fuck, but in a skin crawling way. Like you don't really <laughs> want it to be like, it's like, why did I like this? Am I fucked up? Yeah, <laughs> And that's, yeah. So it fucks, but it makes me feel weird at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Hydraberg, what about you? Uh, yeah, this is a fuck that you s- won't soon forget, but maybe use contraceptives because you <laughs> run the risk of having a bad seed. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I don't know how that, I don't know how to formulate that into like watching a movie term. So, but yeah. I don't know, but it worked. It just worked. Don't, don't dwell on it. Move on. Yeah, don't overthink it. <laughs> Hydraberg, you want to drop that spoiler warning for us so we can get into it? Absolutely. We're about to talk about The Bad Seed from 1956. So pause the podcast and come back, watch the movie. Or if spoilers are cool with you, you can just keep going and uh, come back and listen to what we think. Oh, about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we've already we've already failed what the movie told us not to do, which is to spoil it, which we're, what yeah, we're that's in my notes. That's in my notes. <laughs> Yes, we received explicit instructions from the movie not to spoil it, but we're going to do it anyway, because that's how we roll. Hydraberg, do you have a plot summary for us in the form of a reach around? I do. 
which is All sort right. of weird to say when it's a movie about a, a evil kid. But well, we're just gonna have to accept it for the whole month. That's yeah. We're just gonna do it. It is what it is. Diddler. Thanks a lot, bro. <laughs> oh lord, that was a hard left. Yeah. Whenever you guys are ready. All right. Rhoda Penmark, a lovely child with perfect manners and a beautiful smile. Golden hair and the cutest of styles. Had a mother who lived in denial. But she always thought that something was off. Rhoda suspected of throwing a boy off a wharf. Her doubt of her daughter, it never would settle. Suspicions confirmed when she found the boy's medal. Inside tucked in Rhoda's box full of treasures. With reason to believe it instead filled with terrors. On top of it sits a keepsake from a possible victim. No one aware the little girl thinks that she's tricked him. Rhoda admits about Claude and how she did hit him. With the cleat of the shoe she wore on her feet. Came home from the crime wanting something to eat. Her penchant for murder, it runs in her genes. Her mother adopted from a grisly murder scene. Now poor Christine just wants to scream. So an attempt to prevent another innocent kill causes mommy's basket of kisses to tumble and spill. As her daughter, she swallows the last of the pills. The revolver lets off with the shrill. A mother who sinned commits a terrible deed from fear that she's born from a horrible breed. A child that is truly evil indeed. A rotten apple that grew from a bad seed. Oh, man. That's good. Thank you. I think one of your best ones in a while. I had a good time actually writing that, too. I wrote Amazing it like shortly after the film. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like this movie to uh, just start us out. I think uh, I think Rhoda is a really interesting character, mm-hmm. especially when you place it in the time frame that this movie came out. Patty mm-hmm. Cormick fucking kills this role. She does. She is yeah. amazing. Um, and, you know, I was... <clears throat> Because this is like, you know, this is, you know, as a child, you know, I, I'm always intrigued with child actors who do really, this, this is, I mean, this, obviously, this, uh, she never really reached the same heights as she did in this role. I mean, she, she worked, she's, still, I think she, she's still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, a, is a working actress. She's been working pretty much pretty consistently, but never reached the same heights as the bad seed. Um but yeah, it's and I have some notes of like why her performance is so great, like what who she credits for for the performance. But the um, she is an amazing child actress, and I was thinking like, had this been movie been made like maybe like fifteen years earlier, Natalie Wood would have played this role because that that's mm. the, the level of you know child actress that you would want in that role. And of course, if, if the movie was remade today, you know Rob Zombie would you know have his wife play Rhoda. <laughs> So he got it in. Oh man, that was, when no, the that was gets good. It in. I didn't see that coming. Nice, that was uh, a good one. Nice, bro. But yeah, no, all the actors are really good in this in this film. I just, uh, you know, Nancy Kelly is Christine. Yeah, she's really good too. Uh, Patty McCormick, is, you know, kills it as Rhoda. But even like you know, uh, the guy who plays Leroy, uh, Henry Jones, he's great. Eileen Heckard as Hort. Oh god, that name Hortense. Hortense. She, that is a, not a beautiful what, woman's name. Yeah, well, I he, just she, call it Mister Mrs. Dangle. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's she says like you know, Hortense. Great you know, that's a fat name. You know, it's like, you know, it's like oh, that's my name, Hortense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a pretty good little imitation there. Yeah, and then uh, I love. I've seen a bunch of stuff over the years. Um, like super memorable. Yo, she she's another one of those great character actors that mm-hmm. worked forever. Um, and then Evelyn Barden as uh, Monica. Monica, Brady, yeah, love. another. Like, fortunate name uh she is great as the insufferable busybody 
she's all, she also plays the same type of character in one of my favorite horror films, uh, The Night of the Hunter. She oh, plays. She bought me. Character. Yeah, yeah. I oh, bought, she's in I that? that. Yeah, it, she's in that too. And she, you'll as soon as you see her, you'll recognize her. She has okay. a kind of like type of character. It's like she's. Uh, I hate I her, like so. her character in this. I, I need to rewatch Night of the Hunter because all I can remember from that movie is Robert Mitchum. Don't spoil oh, because I, I have to watch it. Oh my it. god, I love he that. Bought me the Criterion Collection edition yeah, of it. It is he is the most terrifying in that. It, even more than his uh character and uh, as Max Katie and Kate Beer, he's more terrifying. He's so him. evil. He's so evil. Oh man. But uh, I yeah. I had in my notes too about the landlord when she comes downstairs, like she comes down full barrel with her lines and she just like unleashes them all at once. Like, and I was like, in my mind, I'm like, wow, slow down lady. Like, but her character does like, there's a moment where she gets to breathe and just like, but when she first comes into the room, the first time you meet her, like he just unloads her lines where I'm like, what did she just say? She's like stuffing her <laughs> mouth with those candies too. And I'm just like, it's like because it's it's she is a once once again she is an insufferable person. It's all yeah. about her. She's uh, uh, she just is infatuated with this little kid who like because she never had kids because she went through therapy and like realized that like uh, her husband didn't live up to his name. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so she divorced him and she wanted a like a little girl of her own and like you know this kind of like someone that she would have hoped to have had like a little girl like this so like she unloads all of that shit on Rhoda and is just infatuated by her so she's blinded by her her evilness her bad seed and it's just ah she is just so i i can't stand her like, this, this is great acting i cannot stand her character she annoys the hell out of me but I don't she's know. i'm sort of like I'm sort of split on her because, yeah, she is insufferable. She's a little annoying. Um, you know, the this movie uses dialect that is not okay nowadays, like the way they speak <laughs> to people about certain things. Um, but, like, I do feel like she does care about this family. And, you know, she cares about Nancy. She And she not just because she is into Nancy's kid, but she's into Nancy as well. Like, she when she notices something's off with Nancy, she does come into, mm, you know, mm-hmm. the, she, she True. creates a yeah. conversation she's because she cares about it. She is. Yeah, she's intrusive, but she, she does has genuinely care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's almost like she's kind of like adopted herself into the family. And like Rhoda even calls her Aunt Monica. Yeah. And she's, she's the yeah, landlord. She's, technically. She's a landlord. Yeah. It was um, a nice apartment too, and I was just—is that how apartments were back in the day, where like the dude came in and took your trash, like? Yeah. Dude, that knocking? guy is. What do you What do you guys call them? Cooters. That's what that guy is. <laughs> we don't call him that. That's, that's a that straight term. chilling excuse. Yeah. <laughs> he um, is a cooter, though. Yeah. I liked his character, though. He's a he's great. Uh, 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 Leroy Jessup. Mm-hmm. The back and forth with him and Rhoda, I thought it was really oh, perfect. Cooter, to be honest, mm. it was like this They're weird. Both- admiration or like a weird i don't know he was like almost small by her yeah it's like i know what you're i see you and she's he's, he's like you know why because i mean too yeah yeah i think he honestly like i would not be surprised if he's not a serial killer himself <laughs> probably or at I'm, least i'm serious because the you know he's talking about like oh now that you're you know the little soldier boy is gone like talking about uh christine's uh husband it's like he's talking about like sneaking into their apartment and doing bad stuff to her. It's like oh, I thought you meant the actor was like no 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 no, 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 no. You know Richard Gere's dad, right? That's definitely Richard Gere's dad. <laughs> the guy looked like a like Richard Gere from another era. 
I, I was thinking like if 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 this movie was like uh made today, like um I was thinking of like Sam Rockwell's character from like the Green Mile. It's mm. a, the same type of like creepy fucking guy yeah. that just yeah, that's comes good, on to help out. That's a good and, call. Yeah. Yeah. It's but he's actually like a really bad dude. That's what I see he in this guy. Like he wets her he wets her feet on purpose. I thought he was gonna steal the locket when he went into the room. I was like, that locket's gonna be gone later. And she's gonna get super pissed about it and kill him over it. But it tended it it ended up playing differently. Yeah. Hiding the metal in the in the um the treasure box mm. instead. But yeah, uh like I said, all the characters uh, and then you have like the these like the main characters are all great and then you have lot the other like side characters which are more of like this exposition dump of like because you know back in this time a, a lot of the like the psychoanalysis stuff was so new so you needed to have these characters so a lot of the main the audience that was coming to watch this movie this is all new to them like the idea of um the idea that there could be a bad seed like is it can someone be born evil or is it through nurture like that's not something something that people are thinking about in 1956 or when the book came out in 1954 i found Um, that really interesting actually Mm -hmm. so that they introduced that at this time frame and yeah and because the the author of the of the book he um yeah he was a world war one veteran he uh he ended up you know doing a bunch of writing and he actually thought that this was his like uh this book sucks you know no one's gonna read it uh he unfortunately died like uh a few weeks I think it was like a uh like a few weeks after the book was done like he uh, oh, after oh, no. uh, he died of a heart attack um so he didn't get to see the success because it was turned into a play right away like it yeah, went it was to like broadway. a broadway show like a long yeah it went to broadway, broadway the same year like late like i think the book came out in like january or february it was a broadway play in september you know it's like it's that fast and i might speak on why some of the dialogue is a little bit off because oh i, I have oh being i have adapted I from have a info. play yeah <laughs> i have info and i have thoughts mm-hmm. yeah but so for that time frame, you know, because the author was going through a lot of that psychoanalysis to deal with his shell shock from World War One and trying to, you know, trying to come to grip with like what he dealt with, because he ended up shooting a German sh- soldier and he remembers like the exact day and time that he did that and he never got over it. And which nobody gets over that stuff. You know, it's 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 a horrific thing to have happen. And so this was this book was a way for him to deal with what he was going through and but he thought it was his worst book and it turned out to be his most successful he just never got a chance to see that wasn't it funny how artists feel that way sometimes and the things that they do that you know really resonate with people and become really successful are often the things that they hate the most yeah like like tchaikovsky's nutcracker he hated it and like really what does everybody hear every christmas season you know what does everybody take their kids to yeah yeah, it's crazy that, that that's what happens. Yeah. I so, like in the be- Oh, what were you going to say? Go, no, no, no. Go ahead, Hyderberg. No, it was just so the first moment I noticed like something was off with Rhoda was in the very beginning when she just sounds off a little bit when her dad comments on something and he he uses a different word that she's like, oh, you're only saying that word because I'm here. And she sits down like she's not one of the adults. And you can just hear it in her tone. Like she's upset that like people are are changing their the way they speak around her just because of that. Like mm-hmm. she's adult enough to hear the bad words or, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. noticed right away. And it's like, she's a spoiled brat too. She's got that going for her, but there's a little bit more to her than that also. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and it's interesting that you pointed that out, Hyderberg, because later in the film, when her mother go, goes to speak with Miss Fern at the picnic, mm-hmm. she's, she's like, does she have friends? Is she well-liked? <laughs> she, ha- she says that the reason I ask is that there's a mature quality yeah. about her that is disturbing in a child. Mm-hmm. And there's like, there are children who are precocious, but then there are children that go even beyond that. And she's right. It's disturbing to see that yeah. in a child that's like yeah. a child who behaves like an adult because there are kids like that. And, sure. and there's like old souls. Sometimes you encounter somebody who's just like beyond their years without, you know, having grown up in a certain time frame. Like you meet people that like older things sometimes that their their younger counterparts don't like. So, yeah. And I guess it's not always disturbing, but it, it can be. No, at, at the very least, you notice it. And just like you noticed it right off right yeah. off the bat, Hyderberg. Um, yeah, so I'm especially interested in your opinion because I want to know, like, at what point did you, like, did this seem, did the actions of Rhoda's character ever, feel, like, were you ever shocked by them? Was it ever frightening to you? Or what was your I mean, experience like as a first time viewer? It was pretty shocking. I feel like because I feel like we're kind of living through Nancy um, Kelly's character, Christine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're kind of seeing through that her eyes in a sense. Um, and I don't know. There was like so we get that early like spot like of like what the home life's like. And there was there was a bit of dialogue with Rhoda's dad that just like threw me off too. where he picks her up. And it's cute at first, like, oh, what what would you give me for a basket of hugs? Oh. I'll give you a basket of kisses. Like, okay, that's stupid. Like, it's cheesy, but whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a dad it's, and daughter moment, right? So, like, I get it. This is their saying. But then he lifts her up, and there's this moment where he, like, hugs her tightly, and she's like, Daddy, you're so big and strong. And then he looks over, and he's like, see, that's my effect on the girls. And I was just like, this is weird dialogue. I know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a sign of the times. I'm just, it felt icky to me. So there's another line. Sorry. Oh, no. What I was saying is like, it's kind of like, this is something you would see in like, maybe something like Leave it to Beaver, right? Like, it's like, this is what you would see in 1950s televisions. Like, it's, it's all innocent. And it's, it is supposed to come off that way. And at the time it would. But then this movie turns on a dime. And it's like, it's not that at all. It's the complete opposite of Leave it to Beaver. And that's what's what it for 1956. That's what was so freaking shocking about the film is because yeah it's not that at all yeah i could see that because it takes all those tropes of like the perfect nuclear family and then like turns it on its ear i love that you guys i'm sorry i love that you guys said this just now because in my notes i wrote i'm sorry to get political for a second but i wrote in my notes i feel like this is like the, the like milieu that like maga republicans are like make america like this again but like uh, ironically it's not picture perfect yeah, it's like so the it complete ne- opposite you know here's what people don't realize it was never like that like, right. we, it, yeah this it, is it, just it was a fantasy even back then exactly like, yeah. it it's, never existed it, i mean i've watched so many films from the 1950s and they're all there's a lot of fucked up movies like there's there's this one there's the night of the hunter there's rebels without a cause it's like with these families that are really fucked up just like families are fucked up today it's it it's doesn't it it was never like leave it to leave it to beaver i think that was always a fantasy that people i mean it's it's i'm not saying that it's bad to aspire to those things that's not that's not a bad thing we want to have good families that don't have kids that don't have problems with parents that love each other and all that stuff it's just not the reality it it never was yeah and this i think this film yeah definitely like 
I don't know. There's just there's something off with what's going on. And the, the, their belief is that like, well, it's not genetic ever. And uh, if, if you're if you're a deviant or something's wrong with you, it's because of where you grew up. It's poverty. You grew up in the slums. You didn't have the same uh, moral standards that other people have. But th- th- that's not true because yeah. you well, can be rich. You can be highly intelligent. You can be you know, you can have all these different things that a normal person you'd think you'd have and you grow up to be a great person, but you can be a scumbag. You can have deviant thoughts. You can be a serial killer or a deranged. So, well, that's why that's so disturbing to a character like Christine, because she wants to believe that because they have a certain socioeconomic status, because they live this nice upper middle-class life and they have this seemingly perfect nuclear family that they she wants to believe that they can shield her child from that you know that like they can basically buy her a a good life Mm -hmm. and and it's just not that way and so i think it's really tough for her to accept like but this is a good family you know like we've given her every advantage like this couldn't be every opportunity to grow up properly well and we we she also uh christine grew up in that good life her her well what we find out later is her adopted father was a very wealthy man from his success and she had all the advantages in the world and she did turn out good uh christine is a good person she's yeah. um she and she's lived a good life she's had a good life she has a good husband and she thinks that she does have that ideal life um but as the movie goes along, she realizes that like she she's essentially descending into madness uh, because she is tr- she's struggling with learning about her past and like what where yeah. she comes from in reality. And then like she also wants to protect the child that she loves, knowing that how evil she is. And like it, it she essentially collapses in on herself. She does. And she has like she has glimpses of her past that she thinks are not real. They're possibly dreams or nightmares right but like they're getting like more and more like powerful to her like present in her life and then like she's the only one that seems to even be aware that something's off with her daughter like everybody else sort of just thinks like oh she's so cute and prissy and you know um perfect oh you do a perfect curtsy but it's like it's all an act you know what i mean like yeah she does do these things she's she is brought up proper but deep down She's a jealous, envious, like evil little girl, you know what I mean? Who wants but her way. But she's smart, she's smart enough yes. to know how to put on she that. She knows perfect how to play act. the game. Yep. Yeah. That's why, yeah. She plays so it for dad. Even... She plays it for the neighbors. She plays it at school. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it, even like she's, she knows how to play. She is, uh, you know, we get this kind of like later on with Dexter, like, you know, a guy that is playing the part of like a normal guy in society. And this is what, Rhoda is she she's learned that at like 12 years old like how to play the part she knows how to fool people except for the people that start like once that that veneer is removed it's like oh shit and there's moments where she lets it go right when she loses the competition with the medal she gets fucking super pissed and she or even just freaking out about the water on her shoes you did it on purpose and having a hissy and there's like her tone changes suddenly where you're just like whoa what's going on with this little girl 
I think, well, and see, what we don't get is I think that Leroy and her have always had problems. Like, because yeah. Leroy is someone like Rhoda. He's another sociopath, psychopath type of guy. I don't know if he's killed people, if he's a rapist, whatever he is. He, there is something in his path. He is a he is a horrible person, probably evil, just like her. Uh, and so he's able to see it right away because he is the same type of person. So they've always it's like it's kind of like, you know, two heavyweights coming at each other. It's like so they're they're always at odds. So the the fact that like, uh, you know, it's like you did that on purpose. Of course he did because he hates yeah. you. You, hate you just bitched like, him out inside the house. So now he had an opportunity to fuck with you. Yeah. And he took it. And then but Monica goes in on him right there. And I was like surprised by her language. Yeah, she went up to 11 on that. Like. Yeah, she gets very descriptive about like why the like why she keeps him around, and you have irrational rages and a bit of psychopathic uh, a psychopathic side of schizophrenia, and I'm just like, and like, well, why would you have him working there if if you think that? Yeah, exactly. What the hell is I don't? It's well, he has a family. It's like who cares? <laughs> yeah, but the way <laughs> but she also- talks about him is like he's like lesser than, and I, you know, I like you said like a lot of the terminology they use with mental health and like uh, psychology in this film is I'm, I'm impressed by it, but also it's dated, right? It's yeah, severely it dated. Is. So, and yeah. the way they look at it is severely dated also, but it's interesting still to see a film like discuss it and bring it up. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But the way she talks down to him about it seems odd. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, he still managed to have a family. So I give him a job, you know? Yeah, I wish that in that conversation that she has with Christine, where she makes this, you know, brief reference to like, oh, you know, I've I've always worried about him. I've always thought he was off, but because he has a family or whatever. But it's like, I wish she had given some kind of specifics like, well, one time he did this and that that was very alarming. Or, you know, I wish that there had been a specific instance that she could talk to because the first thing we really see him do is splash water on Rhoda's shoes. And like, that's not so bad. But in that moment, Monica fucking snaps and she's like, yeah. well, I've always had my doubts about you, but based on this display today, it's clear that you are a schizophrenic psychopath with paranoid. <laughs> like, she's he's he's not a doctor, though, like, right? Like, she's just really into psychology. Down. Yeah, because she met Sigmund Freud once. Yeah, and probably <laughs> fucked him. So she knows. She probably <laughs> fucked Sigmund Freud. <laughs> But here's um, the other thing. Here's where I thought like something was off about this guy too, because he just bursts into their fucking house, like yeah. just like because he he has the keys. He just bursts in their house. So, and, like such a weird living situation. Yeah, yeah, like I would be so uncomfortable. It's like get the fuck out of my house. Like, what if you're boning on the couch or something? Like, exactly. It's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> get out of my house. What if Mister <laughs> like, Penmark is there? For fuck's sake. What if you're exchanging a basket of hugs for a basket? Of <laughs> Ew. Okay, and I am not comfortable someone, with this. Someone anymore. walks into the room. It's oh God! Just weird, oh, you know? God. I about I... I heard that fucking like exchange. It kind of turns my stomach a little. It makes it was like cute it. at first, but it gets like okay. It's well, there. the way that you just used it was. A oh little... yeah, the way I used it was totally horrible. No, thank you. Um. We were kind of talking about the mother being in denial and yes. how she thinks she's so perfect and all. But what I think is interesting is that the film seems to make, seems to want us to perceive Rhoda at first as very innocent and pure, right? But 
and and there are characters in the movie who perceive her that way mm-hmm. as, you know as we're sort of meant to but i i found myself surprised again it's been a while since i've seen this movie but i was a little surprised at how not in denial the mother really is like you kind of think she you know because she she plays the character in a very like she always kind of sounds like she's on the verge of tears and she often sounds like she's afraid of Rhoda the way that she talks to her she speaks to her in a very like obsequious way and like she does not sound like a parent who's in control she's in service of Rhoda yeah exactly exactly she does not come off as the authority figure Rhoda seems like she's in charge and the mother very effectively plays that almost like subservient role to Rhoda but she makes comments like fairly early on where she's like I know you're a very skillful liar but I must have the truth and it's like this is not the first time that the mother has suspected the daughter of doing something bad. Like, yeah, because she knows about happened. what happened with that snow globe, right? Or with the, the she's killed before too, because she yeah. brought that out later on. Where like obviously she's been thinking that this entire time, but she was a little bit in denial. Where she just like, well, there's no way my daughter did that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's a young child, but over time, I feel like yeah, more and more things have led to her being more perceptive of what's going on exactly well, yeah more perceptive more perceptive but i don't think else, she's though. like i don't think she's like completely fooled by rhoda no, no, at the beginning not. and so i think like as a viewer you kind of think the mother is going to be very um, oblivious to everything that's going on because she's so loving uh-huh. towards the child and you think oh she's going to be blind to everything but i i i sense like very early on that she's She's at least got, you know, her, her radar on. You know? Yeah, because that's why she checks in with the Mrs. Fern about mm-hmm. her behavior and like how mm-hmm. she acts and stuff. And she kind of wants to get a second opinion. Like, well, what do you think about Rhoda? Like, how does she act mm-hmm. with the other kids or because um, she's just not your average kid. Like every other kid is wearing jeans for that day and playing around and getting dirty. And Rhoda doesn't want to do that, which is fine. That's fine. If she, you know, likes to be a little prissy and stuff like that. Kids are like that. But. There's, like you said, there's this weird maturity to her that just is off to her mom. I like that the mom's the one that's cued in on it, you know, like, and she's not in denial necessarily. She knows what's going on, but I feel like she's, she wants to try to make it work for the Mm. longest time in the film. Even when she knows that Rhoda has done some evil things and she's confirmed it in her suspicions. uh, She still, you know, she tells her to burn the shoes and. She doesn't quite know how. Well, she just doesn't know how to deal with the situation. And her husband's not there anymore right now to even console on like, what should we do? She doesn't want to. Yeah. It wasn't give him all the, that information on a phone call either. No. Oh, my God. Feel bad well, for her. We don't see the dad too much, but I get the sense that he is totally like. Oh, he's oblivious. Like he's totally oblivious to Rhoda. Well, he, like, he really does think gone. she's perfect. He's probably mm-hmm. gone all the time, too. He's a military man. Yeah, so he, he has no he's idea. All, like, you know, uh, going off to D.C. He's going off to all these places. So he's gone for months at a time. So he he only gets like small snippets of Rhoda. And, you know, that's that's his daughter that he loves. Of course, of course, of course, he thinks she's perfect. Um, and one thing that we don't see here because the, I think the book sheds more light on like why, um, Christine starts to suspect her daughter is because, uh, Rhoda, I mean, we get the, obviously like the, the, the former 
you know, where they used to, well, in the movie, it's where they used to live, like this lady that had promised her something that, you know, the snow globe, and she just happened to die right after she promised it. She also, in the book, which we don't get in the movie, is she killed a puppy that they gotten for her that she got tired of. And it's like all of a sudden the puppy died because she when she got bored of the dog. And I I don't know like how like it's it's kind of fucked up, but that's what serial killers do. Like fucked up. Oh god. Super fucked up. Fuck this. So I was uh I I was listening to something uh this one podcast about you know uh movie versus book or book versus movie, and like they were talking about some of the differences, and it's like, oh yeah, there's all this other stuff that's in the book that we don't get in the movie or or even in the Broadway play. It's like, yeah, she has killed she's doing like what all the serial killers do, like you know murdering little animals and like yeah. stuff that's weaker than her and she progressed because she went unchecked and i think when christine started to wait something's just off and like she started questioning things and she started thinking about it, it's like oh my god rhoda is at the center of all this shit and that's where like we yeah. end, essentially when we come to the bad seat the movie it's almost like we're like uh you know christine has been suspecting something of rhoda for a little bit and then stuff starts happening here yeah and, and it's like okay that's why she's not like this uh you know deer in the headlights like i don't you know like where she's she's like monica where she doesn't even suspect rhoda to be involved no yeah she's, she's had some suspicions way before we even meet her as a character yeah and then like this is a slice of life where we get the moment where like she really puts the pieces together because of claude's death um yeah and, and like that- yeah, that was it's funny happen. because we get we get Rhoda who's like she's smart and she's evil, but she's still a child, so she's not great at covering up a fucking murder. Like <laughs> no. you know, when, when Leroy's like, "Well, they got this powder they put on the 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 killer stick, the hunting the the hound stick yeah. hounds or whatever." Like, was stick, like a stick bloodhound. Oh my god, that was bloodhound. so I was like, funny. Oh my god, it's making me laugh so much. That's what you you that's like something you would make up to tell a child because they're gullible. Exactly, I believe you. And she totally bought it. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh my god, they got stick bloodhounds," and she starts asking her mom about it. Like <laughs> they the powder yeah. that put they put. Like, what are you doing? Like, obviously, I don't know. She's like smart but gullible at the same time. So it's kind of yeah, yeah. She's like a charming character, though, even though you know she's evil. Like, she plays it so well. And you, yeah, do, like, she does. She is like the perfect little girl, except when we see, like, she's not, you know what I mean? Except like, when she's killing people, yeah, exactly. But it's weird. She, she, she's, she, she, like, I don't know. She, like, saddles that line, like, where every once in a while you see this little crack in her veneer, like you said, of like what really is going on under the surface. And mom's been seeing it for a while. Mm hmm. And I think what I think was also a great choice with this film. And obviously it was done kind of like because they had to do it. But, I, you know, this is one of those one of the positive things I think about, like, you know, the uh, the Hayes Code and like the PCA, like with all with all their um, um, censorship is all the kills happen kind of either off screen or we hear about them or like we hear the screaming of Leroy later on. And it's like it's, I think it's more effective. Yes, because I love it. You, we are picturing, you know, it's like, and don't get me wrong, I, I do like, I love a good gory kill scene, like, like you guys, but sometimes I think it's more fucked up, like, when you're picturing it yourself, it's like, when, like, oh, she, when, like, especially when she's describing, like, what she did to Claude, it's like, and I hit him again, and, like, it's like, you can, like, you, like, you see him, you see her beating the shit out of this kid with her, like, metal shoe, like, metal clad shoes, 
and just like bashing his head in. And it's like, oh my God. And she has like, a moment to help him and she hits his hands, the back the backs yeah. of his hands with it while he's trying to pull himself up. I and love I that detail. That is extra fucked up. Yeah, because the mom's like, wait a minute, wait, these markings that they mentioned, these half moon crescent or whatever, like markings that he had. And then she puts the pieces together. I love oh, that. And I, I love like how you mentioned how she speaks to her later on. Like, listen, everybody outside of this house, like that stuff that you're doing right now, the way you talk to people like that works out there. But I know that you're lying. So you need to just drop it. And I don't know, like it's like Rhoda feels seen. But at the same time, she's still trying to get over on mom enough. Like, well, yeah, OK, I did murder the kid, but I did it because of this. You know what I mean? Like it was an accident. Like as if that's a reasonable an accidental murder. Yeah, it was like. And then so mom feels in on it now and she helps her get rid. I love that scene where she's trying to hide the she's going to get rid of the fucking cleats because they have the blood that the blue pow- the powder is going to show. It's also weird when you're watching a black and white movie and they're like, oh, that's a beautiful red dress. And I'm like, bitch, I can't see shit. I don't know if it's fucking red. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> that's like- why they told us. That's why they told us it was red. I could just start picturing it, though. Like you said, you could picture a lot with these kind of films that don't I think it's better that they don't show the gore because like Leroy's kill the way he's like screaming oh, and agony. It's like, yeah, it's, it hits. And then you see the look on, on Christine's face where you're like, Oh my God. Like the scene plays a little cheesy after that. When she sits down, she's like, Oh my God. Like the acting is a little overdone on certain scenes, but I get it. It's a sign of the times. Like really, um, it, because it's also from a play and a book and then originally a book too, I think. Mm-hmm. But I kept I just, thinking of that. Oh, I was really? saying, like, when I was picturing him burning to death, I kept thinking of, like, Groundskeeper Willie and, like, the... Um, yeah. That's the, the second uh, time you've been on the show. I know. <laughs> in the Treehouse of Horror episode, like, where, like, they're eating the kids, and, like, they be... Uh, it's Or, uh, no, when... Uh, essentially, it's the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, like, he becomes Fred Krueger. Yeah, and so, like, he's, like... But, like, he's, like, burning to death, and it's like, Willie, wait your turn, okay? <laughs> like, they have him, like, sitting over the corner burning to death. That's what I imagine, like, Leroy... Well, yeah, because like, the way the scene plays, it sounds like they had time to put out like whatever he was on fire, like put him out. And like, all of a sudden they're just like, no, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, it sounds like he's just going to be badly burned. You know what I mean? And he won't be able to point out. I'm very badly burned. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. I'm okay. (laughs) I also had to, I also had to look up what the fuck Excelsior was. And apparently it, well, it's it's how they used to like, you know, uh, put like packing and like shipping crates. It's essentially wood shavings. Yeah. That's why it burns. It looks like Easter basket grass. Yeah. Yeah, it's but not it's just something made that Stanley says. Yeah, it's like uh, Tinder that you would use, like for like a campfire. That's why it burns so quickly. Yeah, and she ah, and she. Well, that's, and I didn't she realize did, that. What was fucked up is she because he always takes a nap in the afternoon. Yeah, so he, she she set that shit on fire, blocked the uh, the basement door, and let him burn to death. It's fucked that up. is some fucked up shit. It's fucked up. Hydraberg, question for you: Since this was your first watch, um, how quickly did you? come to the realization that Rhoda had killed Claude Daigle. I mean, pretty early on, they set it up. Um, you know, she's super upset about him winning the medal. Right. Yeah. And then we, when we get introduced to the picnic area, like you see the signs that say like, don't go near the water. We see the, the, the movie starts with the wharf or the, the dock, right? Yeah. It yeah. shows us that dock scene from the onset. And then we end the movie there also, which I do have an issue with, but, um, <laughs> I have an issue with the ending. Uh, but yeah, so like, and then that scene's in the background while we're talking to Lady Mrs. Fern or whatever. And 
I just know in my head by then, I'm like, I know that this girl doesn't get along with any of these fucking kids. There's no way she's just going off and playing. Hey, guys, hey, how you been? Like, nobody likes her because she's a bitch. And also psycho. Um, you just called an eight-year-old a bitch. Whatever. She's not eight anymore. <laughs> I mean, she is. I think, I know, I, I I know, I'm just mean, messing with you. We're, we're here to... to, to to make sure that this is so you could be a bitch from birth. It's genetic, right? It's not necessarily a sign of where you grew up, right? So like, that's what that's what Freud wrote. That's what, yeah, that's what Freud wrote. He said uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, because Monica had sex with Freud, so that's how she figured that out. <laughs> no, she, but um, she totally banged him. No, I, I, I basically early on just thought as soon as they mentioned that the kid drowned, I was just like, that scene was funny too because they're like, "Oh, let's see what the weather's like for the uh, fishing trip tomorrow." And they turn on the radio, and the weather's just instantly on. Like, I guess. Oh yeah, no, it's the uh, it's the it's also the same like how like you always have like that news broadcast is like right you know to get yeah, yeah you right when you need to news. hear it. Oh, as a character, so like all of a sudden we stop the weather right now to give you a breaking news. On the... I mean, it's a movie, Hyderberg. Would you rather sit through no, ten minutes of like irrelevant local news? I don't know. And it's be like, like weird. And now the weather. Yeah, that does set. The... It was just. It's funny, especially because it's an older film, too. So it's just like they give the story about Claude and then she's going to leave. And then like, oh, wait, wait, wait. We have all the facts now. Like yeah. it was just, it was like two seconds later. But yeah, <laughs> well, so I like, automatically knew that she had something to do with it. So like as soon as they said his name, were you like, oh, yeah, that's her. yeah, because they mentioned Claude early on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's her. And how like nonchalant she acts, too, afterwards, where she's yeah, like, she comes on oh, like, Claude died. He drowned. Yeah. Big deal. I have a peanut butter sandwich. They didn't serve lunch because milk. Claude died, you know? So that's interesting is that she's good at putting on the act, but she doesn't really bother to put on the act after Claude's death. Like her mother's yeah. asking her about it and her mother's she's over obviously it. expecting her to be distraught, which a normal child would be. And it, it would be normal for a mother to expect that from her child. But she doesn't even pretend. She's just like, I don't feel any kind of way about it. Can I have my sandwich yeah. now? Like she doesn't even try. And I mean, I could odd. also understand a child that's not experienced with death also being that way too, because they're just like, well, I don't know how how should I feel about it. Like, oh, Claude drowned. Yeah, but they tried. Like they tried to fix, you know, fix the situation, and they just couldn't. And he died. You know, I don't know. Like, and it just happened too. So I think there's a there's a moment where you could believe a child maybe not just being experienced in that. But yeah, yeah. she's sort of very nonchalant about it though. Like. I mean, she didn't ask for cereal. The fact that she wants to eat food after is a little. What'd you say, Rob? I was saying she didn't ask for cereal without milk, so it's not quite cereal killer vibes. Oh my god! God damn it! I'm gonna be living this down for the next like 50 years, dude. That's hilarious that you mentioned that because I'm like going through our older episodes for our hundredth episode, putting together clips, and that's I was just on that episode. Where Jacqueline admits that, and I got a long. I'm like, this needs to be edited down, but this is like, the, this has to go in the. Oh no! Okay, it's gonna yeah. live on for posterity. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you not eating. I've come to grips with that, but it's okay. Um, I'm never the one who says anything funny, and so I, I'll. I'm happy to have yeah, my sure. clip with the cereal, so I'll take it. It's hilarious. <laughs> no, but yeah, she's just like, oh, uh, you know, can I have my sandwich and milk now? Can I have? It's like she really. She doesn't give a shit. She start like. She starts playing the piano. She does all. It's just like she doesn't care. It's like they're just they're 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 meat. You know they're 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 just obstacles in her way. Exactly. That's what that's what everybody is. They're just an obstacle. Can I say something about the piano real quick? Yes. So just since you mentioned it, Rob, 
Um, there's one moment in this movie that really does actually kind of freak me out. And like, I don't, I, I never expected to be freaked out by this movie 15 years ago or now. Yeah. Um, but there is one moment that freaks me out and it's, I'm pretty sure during this like sort of very dramatic scene when Leroy Leroy is screaming and people are rushing around and Rhoda's in the other room behind a closed door playing the piano and the tempo keeps getting faster and faster and faster and it seems like getting more and more excited too but it like it seems totally mentally unhinged like just the way the music sounds like like she's playing at a normal tempo earlier but then like it's it's like she is losing her mind herself, like because she's, she's so getting excited. Crazy. So but, the like, way I the way the music just sounds really like it does. Crazy. It speeds up and it and, speeds up with like the ang- like, like how anxious Christine is getting of like because she knows what's going. She knows what happened to Leroy. She knows who yeah. fucking did that. Yeah. Right. And she's like, oh my god, I, I, like this needs to come to light now. Am I going to tell Monica right now? I don't know how to deal with this. And my daughter's yeah. in the other room playing the piano. Which is also a device to cover up the screams of Leroy. She went yeah. in there and started doing the piano when she knew that Leroy was going to start screaming, right? So she was going to make noise. So nobody really heard Leroy burning to death downstairs. Yeah. Here, here's a couple things. Here's a couple things that I I think are happening. One, yeah, it is about like Christine. Like it's because we are in the mind of Christine. We are following her. So the the world, it, everything is kind of collapsing in on Christine. Um, but then. I also think it because uh, Rhoda is also, you know, kind of really becoming that that killer. I think when she hears the screams of Leroy, she's getting excited. So she's playing faster and faster and faster because she's excited by hearing him scream to death. You know, it's like, yeah. And I think that's like why she starts playing faster and faster and faster. Um, Part of me thought like like, the tempo was the same because Monica didn't change the way she was acting. And it was almost like in Christine's head, like. So yeah, it, it's it's a number it's a number of things because yeah, like Monica is just acting like you know how like it's normal how a normal person would act like oh this is awful like oh yeah. god this is horrific, but because we know more than Monica does, we know that Rhoda killed this guy. She like you know essentially tortured him to death. I mean, uh, burning someone to death like you know trapping them in a basement and burning them to death that's one of the most horrific ways to die. Yeah, uh, I would, uh, it's, it's so the sadistic. Actually, it, the way that she, the way that she kills people, like she drowned, she beat it, she beat a kid to death and drowned him, uh, and then she burned another guy to death. Those yeah. are the two most horrific she ways. The lady down the fucking stairs. She, she, yeah, she slipped and knocked a lady down. The oh, stairs. she didn't slip. Like, she was she gonna kill Monica. Well, she said she slipped dirt. on purpose, or I made myself slip. She, she went all Gerard, off she went all Gerard Butler on that guy, and like you know, sparted her. To, yeah. sparted that she lady was gonna. Down the hole. She was gonna push Monica off the roof the next day for the fucking bird. Yes, she was. And actually, what I thought she was gonna do, like when it's like when she put on that rain slicker, I thought she was because they were gonna go suntan on the roof. I thought she was going to do something to like cause something to, you know, kind of like weaken something to break so that like, oh, it, it looks like an accident. You know what yeah, I thought like, she was going to go do? I thought she was going to go back to the hospital and kill her mother. Oh, and she was dude, that and that's the ending I would have preferred opposed to what we got. Um, also, I love the look of Christine's face when she does find the metal in the treasure chest. Because then she knows. Look, that confirms what yeah, that confirms she, everything. Suspecting is like, oh shit, my kid killed this. Yeah, that's the final one. straw right there. Yeah, and she's just like, I have to deal with this now. Yeah. 
Um, so let's talk about that ending. There's the there's a lot. Victims possessions too is very serial killer like you know. Yeah, that's her She's trophy. Like little memento. Yeah. And the snow globe too. The snow globe is her trophy. Yeah. I hope uh, I hope the stick bloodhounds found all those things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then what was gonna the the songbird that Monica owns that was gonna be another trophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh god, fuck! It just, so, like I said, it makes my skin crawl thinking about it. Um, because we you know we don't really. Uh, I can't think of like another like child serial killer. For like, I mean, like nowadays, like this that reminded me of the Good Son. I uh, never yeah, saw that the one. Good son. Yeah, I could see that. It's another movie with a kid who's like supposed to be good at first, and then he goes. It's inspired, by, it's inspired by this film. That's what I figured. Mm. Yeah, when I was watching this, I was like, I could see why where the good son came from after watching this. Yeah. But he's got name. like a yeah. counterpart in, um, what's his name? Um, damn it. Damien? Lord, Lord of the Rings. Oh. Yeah, up, I was thinking like, because Elijah until, Wood like, is in that open, like young kid. You don't, see, you don't think of like a kid that is like, is evil. You know, it's like oh, yeah, that. The Omen's like, like, oh, but because he's like, he's the devil's son, right? Like, so like in this, it's like, Still. she's just an evil person. So it makes it even, and, and being that she's a little girl too, I feel like makes it even more effective. That's like 20 years later. That's, that's what, yeah. the, you know, it's like we, this is so early on, like, cause I, I now I don't know about like, you know, pre Hayes code, like the thirties. Uh, but like, yeah, this is, I can't, I can't think of another one that dealt with like a child serial killer. That's crazy. It's, it's just, either. it's weird to think about. I found it very interesting that this film delves into like the mind of a killer and that's a child's uh, mind also. And yeah. like the, the, the conversation of whether like poverty or like situational um, situations uh, can affect a person to be this, you know, this evil or deranged or whatever, like, I feel like we've learned so much more about the psyche of someone who's willing to kill or kills multiple times, at least yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, since this movie. Um, but I do find that interesting that a movie at this time was willing to delve into that, um, whether they handle it properly or not. I, I still give it credit for like trying um, and using a child as like the main antagonist is um, pretty ballsy, I think. Yeah, so I think it's kind of a it's a shocking idea for its time. I definitely yeah. think that. Well, and another thought that I had, this is just coming from the perspective of a mother. Um, Rob, do you have kids? I forget. You don't have kids. I, I no, I, not yet. Okay. Uh, so just coming from like a mother's point of view, and um, also having having taught before in, in my career, it's interesting that like you know collectively we kind of think of children as inherently like sort of sweet and innocent and so a character like this one seems shocking but i i would argue that in reality there's a lot of natural behavior that is very developmentally normal in kids that to an adult seems i mean i don't know i wouldn't go so far as to say evil but like well kids can cr- be really cruel, mean yeah. cruel yeah, and cruel. unfeeling and I don't necessarily even mean like schoolyard things like teasing and, and bullying, which, you know, are not good, but they are things that children t- seem to kind of naturally want to do and you have to teach them not to do it. But I'm talking even like earlier than that, like young children do not have the capacity for empathy at no, first. Like don't. that's that's a, a characteristic that has to develop over time. Yeah. And it also I think it has to have input from other people. Like you also have to be taught to empathize and and have compassion for others. 
And so as a mother, it's been surprising to me, you know, my children are still very small, but to have moments where like another adult would have empathy for you or something happens and you would expect a certain emotional reaction from an adult, but a child is not capable of that. Yeah. There have been moments where like, um, I, I can't come up with a specific example off the top of my head, but something very like dramatic or like, um, like crucial or something is happening like there's an emergency situation and like like I'm working with my husband to try to like figure something out or like oh my gosh we have to figure out what to do and then like one of the kids will be like mom can you change the batteries in my car yeah. and I'm like there's the the time for that like <laughs> yeah, yeah like they, they don't have the or like I've had moments where like you know I've I've cried in front of my children before like something has happened or yeah. like I got some bad news and I'll sit and cry can I have a sandwich exactly <laughs> well, mommy like, said they, they literally they think maybe a pat on the back is enough to hey mommy. Or not even that like the, yeah. I mean I've had moments where I was like weeping and my kid will be like mommy I have to go potty now and it's like and, and like it's not the kid's fault that's no. just like the developmental stage where they are and you but it, like, if you don't know better, it can seem like is this child all right? But that's, yeah, so if it's, you don't instill normal. those extra qualities in them, they're just going to kind of keep going. They're going to stay like that. They're going to yeah, stunt. Exactly. They're going to be stunted, like emotionally. And then I was in the even weirder, like, because I, I was, um, you know, one of the podcasts I listened to. It's like a true crime one, and this there was a uh, the story that the story that they did on. There's a, this girl who was like, I think, kind of about the same age as Rhoda, who was luring kids and killing them. Like, like it because I don't know, it, maybe she was a bad seed or like, you know, she kind of the thing, same thing. She didn't uh, she did not have she had a like a bad childhood. So she didn't have that empathy instilled in her like, you know, to like, hey, you should not do stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And so she ended up because of a, maybe a lack of, um, you know, parental development caused her to become a killer i mean she lured these kids and like either i forgot how she killed them but it's like it's i was i i kept thinking about that story when i was watching this movie it's like oh jesus this does happen in real life it's it's yeah, it does. yeah. well in the way you the way you mentioned just now rob the way you said like a lack of parental involvement or teaching on the on the part of the parents that kind of leads me to something major i wanted to say about this movie which is um Heidelberg, you already know this. Rob, you may or may not know this, but like my kind of like, um, you know, deal breaker for movies is kids children, dying. Yeah, kids dying or children being like abused or um, traumatized in some way. I don't like watching that. Like, I really, spoiler for Train to Busan, but like in Train oh. to Busan, when like her father dies and she's like, daddy, like I can't, I can't handle that. Oh, it kills me every time I watch That's that. what makes I that movie. It. I know, but I hate it. It's so tough for me that to watch. Like I can't so... get out of that emotional yeah. state. I get it's like tough. stuck in it. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you about that with with this film because I, I do know that that is your thing. And I was like, how do you deal with this? So here's the thing. I feel like that's a common thing for parents to feel like they become sensitized to like things happening to children. Like you become a, this never used to bother me. Right. But since I've become a parent, I've yeah. become sensitized to it and other things that used to bother me no longer do. Um, but something that I don't hear people talk about very often, like in life, not just in movies is like, not just the fear of something happening to your child, 
but the fear of your child doing yes. something bad. Yeah. And I feel like people don't really talk about this very much, but it's a very real fear. And I will cop to having it myself. Like, it's not to say that, like, it's worse than if something happens to your child. But if something happens, you know, some accident or something happens to your child, it's like, you can't control that. It's an accident. It's a moment of fate or something like the child is still like innocent and kind of by extension. So are you. But if your child does something bad, like there's something wrong with them. And then like by extension, it's a failure of the parent as well. And so you feel like the parent, you know, is seen as culpable as well. Like it's kind of like if you think about, um, you know, a great example of this is we need to talk about Kevin. That's a major theme in that movie is like what role, if any, does her parenting have it like um I I love that performance from um what's her why can't I think of her name? Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton yeah. Um but that's like a constant question through the movie that you don't really get a definitive answer to, but like what role does her parenting have in what her child does? So um so this movie makes me uncomfortable to watch because that's a, a separate fear. I think it's a totally separate fear to something happening yeah. to your child. It's like what if my child does something bad? Absolutely. Like, and that's uh sorry. I was it's just no, it's it's pretty much definitely it. relative to uh Christine's um performance or Nancy Kelly's. Um like the fact that her daughter might have done something, but then she's also dealing with the fact that like, all right, so am I to blame not necessarily for her upbringing, but because of her genetics, because mm-hmm. she yeah, me. That, that's, and because that's- she finds out that like I came from a troubled past. Like even though she She's so young that she hardly remembers it. She did come from a really fucked up home life. Her mother killed people like, you know, um, and she was she, given everything to grow up proper. And she did for the most part. Right. Like she did. She did. But yeah. That fear yeah. of like, just is there something inside me that's now inside her? Yeah. Did it's I like, pass something along unintentionally? Exactly. Yeah. Christine is like, is, you know, I keep, I, I keep bringing up Dexter, but like, you know, Christine is like what Dexter, like, you know, she was found and rescued from that life. And although Christine didn't become the serial killer, it's like her, her, her mom was a serial killer, was a famous killer that like her adopted father was investigating and was, was tracking. And then now her daughter is doing the same thing that her, you know, biological grandmother had been doing and it's like did i you know it's like i didn't did i do something wrong in the way i raised her or is it like or is there just nothing that i could have done like like this was always going to happen and that's that's such a horrible thing to think about incidentally i was adopted from a really fucked up background too into a good one so yeah. this movie makes me nervous on all kinds of and levels. she doesn't yeah, eat, exactly. cereal, exactly. eat cereal without milk so we have to be very <laughs> <laughs> What did I inherit? What have I? Yeah, she's the serial spiller. Um, <laughs> I'm the serial serial killer. But no, I think I think there's a lot of complex themes actually to this film. I I think that it's overshadowed sometimes by like some spotty acting or weird, like acting from the time. You know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily bad acting, and and at the at the time it's probably seen as good acting. So I kind of take issue with that a little bit because I thought about that. And I think it's not that the acting is necessarily dated because even on this show, we've covered some movies that are just as old, if not older, like 
whatever happened to baby jane or I thought about the, that a lot when I was coffin, watching coffin joe movie or even the phantom carriage from the 20s like that Great all movie. have far <laughs> superior acting and i think it's more the staginess of it yeah um, i have a little trivia on this but basically the director of the movie did not i i don't blame the actors actually i i actually i find a lot of the acting like really tough to like get through um and and i i don't blame the actors i i read that the director didn't want them to like tone it down from their so most of the actors were like transplanted from the stage show like these were the broadway actors and they just really kind of recreated their performances from the broadway show and they didn't adjust for the medium of film but the director didn't want them to he didn't like direct them to and so um i I think it's like a a direction problem was patty mccormick also from the Yep. So, right, so, so for, all, like, all, her performance, the, it works for her performance somehow. Also, like, all the she's main pretty good. That, yeah. All the main characters that I mentioned uh, Christine, Rhoda, Leroy, Hortense, and Monica, they're all, the, all those all those actors were in the state, the Broadway production. That's what I meant about Monica, where she comes into the room and just sort of unleashes her lines like you would yeah. like a stage play, right? Like the, that's also that's also why also you get writing the other problem. characters, you yeah. get all the exposition dump because yeah. you have to remember, like, because essentially we're getting the film version of the Broadway play that um, yeah. uh, the director is Mervyn Leroy. He he um, he loved the film or he loved the Broadway play, and he's like, I'm going to recreate that, and yeah. so. He, he he actually um he fought with warner brothers uh with jack warner it's like no i don't i don't i'm not gonna get like some big name actor i want these people in the film and i want to recreate that because initially it was um um uh betty davis you know from uh you know uh whatever happened to play christine yeah she was supposed to play christine like and she she expressed interest she wanted yeah. to play that role and exactly. Leroy said hell no i want i want nancy kelly um and so yeah he tur- he turned uh um, interesting betty davis down i feel like and, betty davis yeah, would have delivered a good role too oh she would have been great but i did a- like i really liked nancy kelly though but Nancy Kelly, she's a great actor. Great actress. She played. She was a child actress, just like Patty McCormick was. She's been. She had been acting since the twenties, like silent film and like into the uh, the sound era. And um, she had been in like stuff like uh, you know, like uh, Jesse James, uh, Stanley and Livingston. She actually was also uh, the original in um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. She was in the oh original. Oh my Broadway god. Production. She was in the original Broadway production as Martha. Of that oh my era. god, what a devastating play! I uh, yeah, we actually just reviewed that film in our um, in our uh, Hollywood Couples Month. We did the uh, the film version with uh, uh, Liz Taylor and. Oh Richard my Burton. god, I love that movie so much. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to go listen to it now. Thank you for telling me. Yeah, so that was on our live stream la- from last month. I'll I'll send you the clip to that. That it's yeah, you'll you'll enjoy that. I've been telling Joey for like eight years we need to watch that movie and he never. I, I own that movie. That movie is fucking amazing. And it uh, hurts. It hurts to watch. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So she was. So like I said, uh, Mervin uh, Mervin Leroy really wanted these, um, and he's also a great director himself. He did movies like Little Caesar with Edward G. Robinson. He uh, he. This you know obviously this became one of his famous films. He was also the producer of Wizard of Oz. He he didn't direct it, but he was the producer. So mm-hmm. he's done a lot of great work, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he won out the job because initially 
it, this was um uh billy weiler uh you know from ace in the hole you know um uh witness for the prosecution all those great works he was he wanted to produce this independently outside of a studio but you know when he uh pre presented the um the screenplay the pca is like hell no we're not gonna we're not gonna <laughs> let you make this film mm -hmm. also he didn't know that jack warner went behind his back and essentially bribed them gave them like three hundred thousand dollars and promised that promised the pca that like oh we're gonna change the ending and so that way it like you know rhoda doesn't get away with it like like in the book or the broadway play and like okay and, and well and to be honest, it was the three hundred thousand dollars that did it, not just not the promise that they would change the the fucking. But how film. does it end exactly then? So it, uh, I so wrote it's like how they in the hospital setting, like when they find out that like uh, so uh, Rhoda is given the the lethal dose of sleeping pills, and uh, uh, Christine shoots herself. Christine dies, but they because of they they hear the gunshots, they're able to get uh, Rhoda to the hospital and they save her, and she gets away with it. Like, and no one, no one knows that she's the actual killer. I think that would have been a great ending to me. Um, the, you could have either did it with her skipping down the waiting room, like yeah, singing again, or yeah. So that's that's how the Broadway play ends. Now, right. here's what I think would have been the better ending to the film is that okay if you have to follow the pca rules like that the killer can't get away with it mm -hmm. let's make this real dark is that uh uh christine does end up killing her daughter but she dies too in the process she sacrifices herself to yeah. keep the kid. so she ends up cutting off the bad seed uh -huh. so they can't reproduce yep. she sacrifices herself but does get the killer in the end yeah it, it's fucked up and it but it at the same time it's like that would have been the better ending that's where i thought it was going when i wish it would have been that. i'm like oh this is dark great. as fuck yeah i hadn't but, remembered the ending and i was like how the fuck is this going to resolve itself we can't go on like this forever something's got to change or even if like i don't know like it ends up the dad's got to stay with the daughter and mom dies and then he has no idea what he's living with because he had no idea that his daughter was this purely evil Right, and she's still gonna go on doing what she's doing under his nose, like. And here, and that's, well, she's finally caught, maybe. But it's not like we haven't had dark endings before in films before, like Double Indemnity, like the uh, the both both the characters who are like the evil people, like but you're kind of sort of rooting for. Mm -hmm. They end up dying in the end. It's thanks it's, for spoiling that movie for me. So, like yeah. the rule, the rule was basically like that you can't have a crime like you can't have an ending where a crime goes unpunished or where the yeah. audience is meant to like um like let the like like the killer is all, like gets let off the hook basically um the, yeah. the film can't be seen as aligning with the criminal so it's like and they, but it's other films though have kind of straddled that line and kind of gotten away with that though that and that's where like it's it this that's where like the way that this movie ends is we could have had an ending before we get the stupid ending because that that's my that's my one knock on this film is that the way that it ends with a fucking lightning strike come well, on that was god taking her out yeah it's stupid though it's, it's like so it's like cheesy and like so it it's cheesy. like if you interpret it as like i feel like you could interpret it as god like giving divine retribution or you could interpret it as just like bad luck or like you know kind of a freak incident that yeah. kind of just takes care of her well, either I mean, way it's around a giant metal uh yeah flashlight that she's waving around yeah. but you know, that's and the, oh, pole, okay. the, the the pole from the uh netting 
than that. That's mm-hmm. usually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, Why would you yeah. think that metal would still be there anyway? With the, the wind is blowing like fucking crazy. There's waves. Exactly. Yeah. It seems but, odd like, to me that she was going. So I like the way the scene starts to play out where she's going in the rain. She's uh, she's got the, the flashlight and she's like um, rubbing it against the um, the fence as she walks. And then if you notice the piano music that she plays herself is playing, playing in the background, background right? Yeah. Like as a, like it's getting you could have just ended it there. Yeah. I thought she was going to the hospital to snuff out her mother. Like, yeah. see, that would have been great too. I, but I, I actually thought she was good. She was getting ready to kill Monica. She was preparing for that for you, for her. Well, she didn't have any too. reason to kill the mother. She had a reason to kill Monica. Stupid reason. You yeah, know, going to. She wanted, but like, well, the she doesn't mother want her mom to wake of, up and tell the truth about what happened either. But the mother has already shown that she doesn't. She's not going to tell the truth. That she's willing to like cover up for her. And so, like, I would have been happy with either both of them dying. Or the mom dying and Rhoda just going on and the cycle continues and the dad has no you, idea and she goes home with the dad. That's what I, I like. This she was goes the on with worst, the dad. This was the worst possible ending. Um, the spoils of horror guys that um, Stephen and Leo on that show, they've talked multiple times in the past about how like very quick, sudden deaths can come off as unintentionally hilarious. And I feel like that's what <laughs> happens one of them. here. I I'm surprised. That's, that's what happens here because it's so like out of the blue and the way she dies has nothing to do with anything. It's not like somebody catches her and kills her. Like it has yeah. nothing to do with the story or anything that's happened up yeah. to now. It's just like out of nowhere, totally unexpected. And so it just feels like a cop out. It feels like it's cheating. And I you could interpret it as divine retribution, which is so cheesy. Like or just, she dies from the the lightning hits her, and then there's a doctor that comes in the room and says, uh, Christine, uh, you're going to make it, but we just found out that you're pregnant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, could, that could work, too. Yeah, but this was not- the worst possible ending, and I feel like Absolutely. the twist of the mother shooting herself, like, that shocked me. And then yeah. when you hear, because I, I totally forgot in the ending, like, the gunshot shocked me. And then when she's in the hospital and you hear somebody say like, oh, the the lethal dose of sleeping pills, that shocked me too. So leaving it there, I think would have been great, but it's that extra little bit tacked on that I just fucking hate. Yeah. And that, that's what I said. If you're, if we're going to play by the rules of the PCA, like, you know, that, that the, that it has to go punished. It, it can't go unpunished. We have to, we have to get rid of the killer. The best ending is that they both die and that Christine yeah. that's so dark. eliminate the bad seat. Yeah, that's fine. That it's because it, there have been dark endings to films, you know, back in the forties and the fifties yeah. that like, like uh, within the 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 Hayes Code era. Well, whatever um, happened to Baby Jane? That's fucking dark that, at the end. That, that's also part of the Hayes Code too. Like yeah. it's it's a dark ending, and you also it, it, the crazy thing too is like you look at like Japanese cinema at the same time who didn't have to play by those same rules. Those endings in some of those films are fucked up. Like it's yeah. really like it's crazy. Japanese, um, yeah. You know, uh, like, uh, was it the, um, well, I, we did a film called The Housemaid that had, like, kind of a really fucked up ending. But, like, they kind of did, like, a like a Twilight Zone kind of thing where it's, like, it, it they, because they, they had they had pretty strong censorship, too. And it's, like, oh, it's okay. It's it just, like, you know, th- this is what could have happened, you know, in another alternate reality kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. like, the Twilight Zone used to do. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's we've had these, like fucked up endings before like we could do it for here i i don't and i think it was just more of i think this is part of the where mervyn Leroy was i think too caught up 
with like trying to make it accurate to the play and this uh, it could also been like the the warners kind of got involved and like they kind of the producers just trying to do too much oh no no we can't have an ending like that let's wouldn't be the first time warner brothers has gotten in the way of filmmakers (laughs) (laughs) it would not be the first time no it would not be the first time or the last constant thing it's still going on nowadays yeah so it, it producers getting in the way kind of making shit happen that shouldn't happen that's probably what happened here because i think mm-hmm. mervin Leroy seems like a pretty based off of his work it's like he seems like a pretty competent director so um, yeah you know knowing his love for the story i'm sure he did not want this at all yeah well and it's- interestingly we haven't even touched on the weird little coda at the end where they do like a curtain call which you which like you don't now do that- in movies and then yeah so that was very that- cool like now that is something that Mervyn Leroy did want to have happen because he did love the play, and this is what they would do at the end of the show. Hey, here are the characters, and then here Nancy Kelly spanks. That happened. At, that happened at the end of every Broadway show. I like. I thought that was cute. Like I it think was, it was funny great. It was I, like what she should have done anyway in the movie, like spanked her fucking daughter. See, that's yeah. See, that's what I think should have happened. Like it leave the leave the dark ending that Rhoda is you know is allowed to be the killer and give the levity of the that. Yeah. Where like it's like it, it's 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 a everything's play. okay, guys. It's a movie. Everything's okay. It's not real. Yep. And yeah. like you know what they do in the play, like that would have been a great way to end the film too. And I like the words that come up in the end too. Of uh, it's like a spoiler warning. Um, mm-hmm. I've never seen that before. It was like you have just seen a motion picture whose themes whose theme dares to be startling different. Well, Hitchcock, different. Hitchcock did that. Like, oh, yeah, okay. so Psycho. So Psycho was one of the ones. The oh, it did air with that. that. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I've actually seen now. Now that I've uh, I've actually seen several films that have this. Witness for the prosecution is another one. Uh, Diabolic, uh, and they're the, all like twist endings. Yeah, the 1955 French film has oh, the same. I love Diabolic. Has, has the same. Uh, has the same thing. This film has the same thing. So there, there's a lot of films that have shocked twist endings where it's like, mm-hmm. do not talk about this. Like with people that have not seen the film, mm-hmm. you know, kind of you know, leave it secret so that people can enjoy it. Themselves. I like that. Yeah. So the reason for the spanking was that they they did that during the stage show because at first, when the when the show when the play first opened, they didn't have that there, and people were so outraged by Rhoda seemingly getting away with it because she you know she goes on she lives in the in the stage play, and so people were like outraged by it, and um, somebody I forget which which member of the cast said. Oh, people were like ready to literally kill somebody when they saw the end of the story. And so we added like after the curtain call, we added this little vignette where, you know, Christine spanks um, Rhoda to to kind of lighten the mood and, you know, allow the the audience. Yeah, it's all okay. No one, no one's. Yeah, nothing happened. It's well, all like it's to all allow them to see her get a little bit of comeuppance. And yeah. So, yeah, you know, because she doesn't, she goes unpunished in the in the original story, and so, um. To be honest with you, I found that really weird and creepy. Like, because yeah, when you think about it, it's like somebody else's an adult spanking somebody. Well, she was like actually, and... you know, hitting her. Yeah, I, mean, no. I, I know it wasn't hard, and you know they'd done it before, but still, it's just like it makes me so uncomfortable. Can... Um, you seem like there were some other things in this film that made you feel a little uncomfortable as well. Um, that you wanted to talk about besides not not uncomfortable. I mainly, I, I mainly was just I I really have a problem with. Um, the acting, uh, particularly on Nancy Kelly's part. I know you guys liked her performance, it sounds like. Um, and she's well, actually... I... Mm-hmm. 
No, I mean, I can see like it's overdone at, in scenes, but I also feel like she still is. I don't know. I felt like she was in the moment and I felt like she's a good actress who just wasn't directed as well as she could have been maybe. For I think scene. so too. I think yeah. so too. I just don't think the performance that she gives is appropriate for acting. a film. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, I don't blame her for that, but I, actually um, she and Patty McCormick were nominated for Oscars for this. Wow. And as uh, oh. was Eileen Heckart, uh, yes, the Hortense. Yeah. So like, I, so yeah, so she was like really bad acting, but like it was like a stage thing where like she came into the room and she was like, I've been drinking. Yeah, like, I'm going to pretend like I'm drunk. I actually wrote down a spot of her dialogue. I have to find it in my notes, though. Um, it was, uh, it was oh, Mrs. Daigle. It doesn't, it's not Hortense. natural. Like people She's like, really I'm drunk. Mrs. Daigle as well. I'm not. The least bit intoxicated. Well, which one are you? Because you just admitted you were drunk. Yeah. And then, like, she was all over the place. Yeah. And so I, I just... kind of like, you'd almost like, this looks like a role that you'd almost see like Lucille Ball in, yeah. like the way that Hortense uh, Daigle is played. Mm-hmm. You would think that you'd see like uh, Lucille Ball playing that that role. Yeah. It's, it's a little hammy. Because she yeah. was up and down so much. Like, she was being. Which I know you get like when, when when you're drunk, I guess. But it's like there were moments where like she was like, your daughter killed my son. And then there were moments like where give me a hug because I need it right now. And if you want come by my beauty salon and I'll give you a freebie. Like it was sort of odd. Her, her, her performance, like her character was. Because we don't get enough. Oh, time with her. We don't get enough time with her. We don't really like know. Uh, obviously, like we she lost her only child and she's too old to have any more kids. Yeah. She's, she looks like she's you know, much, a little, lot older. So yeah, we understand that part of it. But like, as far as like the way that, yeah, you're right. The way that she acted was so, it just, it's too much. Yeah. And her husband yeah. was just like a fucking mouse. So, yeah. so, so again, like I say, I have a problem with the acting, but I don't blame the actors. I, I really blame like no, no. the director. And I also feel like the script was not written in a way that the actors could make it sound natural. Like, like a when picture. Monica comes in and she dumps this whole like load of a dialogue that is just not how people speak. And then yeah. the, the part where Christine is questioning Rhoda about the snow globe and the incident that happened there. It's like, it's all crammed into this long stream of consciousness thing. It's not dialogue. It's a soliloquy and it's yeah. so fast. And it's like, she's saying it as though it's, she's like it's coming from her before, memory, but, but she hasn't referred to it before. And it mm-hmm. just, it comes across as very unnatural. I think she's doing the best with it that she can, but I think the script was written. It was, it's, it sounds like the script was basically reproduced from the, the play and that, yeah the director directed the actors to recreate those performances and it just doesn't work for film. I think if, if I had seen this even today, like in 2023 on the stage, I think I would have totally accepted it. Yeah. Cause but it was in on the, the stage of film. It doesn't work. And so it's like just, on stage, you accept those limitations that they have to yes. perform and get yes. a scene done on stage live. Yeah. You know? They don't have the same methods available to yeah. show you things that film does and so it, they have to like do some info dumps they have to like you know when monica walks into the room and she's like it's i your your um you know your quirky landlord or other landlady yeah. you know yeah, exactly like, oh nobody well. would announce themselves that yeah. way when walking into a room like i'm gonna start doing that like it is i <laughs> it is i, I jacqueline 
There are moments your podcasting partner. There are moments, like I said, that were odd to me, like where dad picks up the daughter and she's like, oh, you're so strong and big. And I was just like, who talks to their dad? Well, there's a moment where one of the like, um, it's either the grandfather Mr. or the Tasker. Tasker guy. He's like, he touches her hair. Gonna, she's going to make a, a man very happy very someday. Ha- I'm like, oh, that scene. Exactly. Yes, that I, I heard that. I wrote it down. After he touched her hair, like, oh, her hair is very pretty. Like, but you okay, also know how she's like, on her. she like, she, she puts it back in place because she wants everything in place because um, she's very particular. But she would have no problem telling him to GTFO. I know. I, I but I just like the way, like, I not liked it, but I just thought it was odd the way, like, you could comment on a, like, oh, you're a very beautiful young uh, lady or whatever, like, or I like your hair. But the way he, like, touched it and Ugh. examined it. It's not very cool. cool. And you don't even know her. You're very familiar with this young lady. Like, you've never met this child before. And you're if in somebody else's home. If I to touch my kid like that, they would get a, yeah. a fucking sock him in the mouth. I don't know like, if it was a son of the times. Like, is, is this kind of behavior okay? Or is it just like, this is how we wrote characters back then. And uh, But it also deals with, like, you know, how males were. Um, and how familiar we were with women or... Uh, like like and you like said, like oh, you're gonna make a, a great wife someday, and children too. Like yeah, it's just it's just very awkward. There's some very awkward moments. I found the moments with Leroy less awkward, and he's the kind of guy that might actually touch a child. Maybe like we don't even know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like that, that's way. the but best thing moment... you can say for Leroy is he doesn't have like pedo vibes. Yeah, he just seems like off, right? But like, I like he has the way sadistic he... vibes, but not pedo vibes. The way he speaks back and forth with. Rhoda I enjoyed because it was like they were playing this game with each other where she's like shut up you know like nothing you say matters I'm so much smarter than you and he's like no I see through you, you and nobody funny. else tells her that nobody else talks to her like that yeah yeah so it yeah. was an interesting dynamic even though I'm sort of like well just don't go down in that cellar with him because I was still <laughs> yeah. for her. even oh, though God. she's an evil bitch I didn't I was still worried about you know her yeah her well-being the um well and because I, I think that Mervyn Leroy I think he fell in love too much with the the stage play and wanted to put that on film, and mm-hmm. because we we've seen where there's been great plays that have been brought to the silver you know to the the big screen like The Miracle Worker, yeah, Twelve Angry Men, yes, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, those are those are Annie. the no, big, those are the big <laughs> oh, successful ones that I can think of that have been brought to the screen and have done really well. And it's like they obviously like they realize they're in a different medium. So we have to do it a little differently. This one, I think this is like another one of the few knocks on the film where it's like it's it works in some ways. And I like I said, I still love this film, but it's just like, yeah, like that is the the ending. And there's a few of like the way that the characters interact with each other. It's just not it's just not quite right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that on that note, I think it might be a good time for us to get into our reviews. Um, we're yeah. running a little short on time, so maybe we can wrap it up and and just do our our ratings. You guys good with that? Sure. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. So it was my pick. So if you don't mind, I'll go first. Um, honestly, I actually said almost everything that I had to say about this just during the course of the conversation. I think um, on the plus side, I think. The photo- like from the opening shot, the photography is so beautiful. Like the black and white photography, it's yeah. really well lit. Um, the outdoor, we you know, almost everything takes place in one room. There's a couple little scenes outside of that, but the outdoor shots, like like in the in the opening where it's clearly nighttime and the moon is poking through, like the dark and the light, the shadow and the light, it just it really looks 
very lovely. And then, you know, we return to that at the end. It's a nice kind of bookend, even though the scene is stupid. It looks pretty. Um, and even just inside the apartment, the set of the home, which to me looked like a mansion. And I'm like, oh, an apartment? What? Yeah, what is this seriously. colossal apartment that's like a fucking, fucking huge. castle? Yeah. Um, with like, you know, constant it's, maintenance like, and maintenance. Great framework everywhere, all over the place. Like, it's a really, that place I mean, would it go looks for like a lot a, of money right nowadays. It looks like an upper middle class, you know, like home. Uh, but anyway, um, it's very lovely. It's it's like the set dressing is wonderful. I And I do enjoy many of the acting performances. And, you know, I think Nancy Kelly's performance as Christine is kind of the most obviously cringy for me. But again, I feel like I have to make it really clear that I don't blame her because I think she is a really good actress, but it feels very much like you're watching a play and it's it's tough to like stay in the moment for me. That being said, there is one moment in her performance that I find absolutely like gut-wrenching. And it's the moment when Monica's there and she can tell that something is wrong. And she's like, what is it? You can tell me, you can tell me. She's like, no, I can't tell anyone. And she's trying not to tell her. But then finally she just breaks down and sobs and like covers her face. And she's just in such despair. And I really felt that. And it did feel natural. And it's that moment where like, if somebody hadn't been questioning her about it or trying to like get at what the problem is, she probably could have like, you know, gritted her teeth and, and gone through. But it's that act of somebody like, A, it's like kind of touching that somebody cares enough to ask, but also B, it's like you can't escape from that questioning and it kind of yeah. breaks you down. And um, I found that moment like really moving and, and, and real. So I want to give her a lot of credit for that because I think that was a perfect... Um, acting moment um I think I think Patty McCormick actually does great as as Rhoda it's a little stagey but I think it mostly comes off pretty well actually I think she does a really good job of coming off not as a perfect child but as a child who's too perfect that you can kind of tell pretty early on that like something is off like you're supposed to think she's perfect but it's too it's so perfect that it's not and so um, I, th I think it comes off really well. She does great, like, turning on a dime from being all sweetness and rainbows and then being like, you did it on purpose or that award was mine. And um, it's it's jarring. And, like, if you saw that behavior in real life, you'd be like, oh, what the fuck is happening here? So um, I think it's it's great. Um Yeah, I, I, that's, that's pretty much it. The, on the negative side, you know, my main my main gripes are the 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 staginess of both the script and the direction i hate the ending it was the worst possible ending and also who cut this child's bangs the, these are the devil's yeah. bangs um <laughs> it's not good no 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 i didn't even notice them oh i hate Definitely them it's not like, like scream three bangs bangs are supposed to be like straight across or like a little tapered but it's like her bangs come to almost like a widow's peak in the center. Like they're a little longer in the center and then they mm. get shorter and the, it's just weird. I don't, it's, it's, yeah. it's terrible. I hate it. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, not terribly important, but yeah. Who cut her bangs? Shows her, shows she's evil. <laughs> yeah. That's how, you know, actually it's, it's the, bang. if you see bangs like that in real life, just run, go the other direction. <laughs> don't, don't, don't interact with that child. Uh, so just. <laughs> Fuck that I, kid. He's got a bad, he's got, she's got weird bangs. Yeah, it's totally her fault. 
But so again, I, at the end of the day, I recognize that this movie is very important. I think it is shocking for its time in a lot of ways. And I think um, it sets, it kind of, you know, started a path for some subsequent movies to come later, like The Omen, which also was based on a book, but still The Omen, all these, other, The Good Son, all these other movies with creepy children. Um, I think they all kind of owe a debt to the bad seed. And in fact, like we still use that phrase nowadays yeah. like oh he's a bad seed um you know what it means when someone says yeah it. it's it's kind of part of our common lexicon so i and, and i mean that may have been a phrase before the movie and like maybe that's why it's called that because i don't think they ever actually say the phrase bad seed in the dialogue unless no, I think it's, actually, no it's like can 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 a, a, a can a kid be like just a bad seed they they did they, they, oh, they, they did say that phrase they okay. do wrestle with that within the movie that is one of the well like, i know the, they uh, they consider the question i didn't know if they had used that exact phrase or not, did, but yeah. okay well then never mind but um so i think it's an important movie i think if you know if you're interested in classic film it's it's something like if you're interested in kind of some of the roots of horror i think this is an important one to see um it's it's you know you you can feel its age and you can feel its origins i think so if you don't have a high tolerance for that i don't i don't know if it's like gonna be a fun watch but um, I, I do still think it's it's a good movie. I enjoy watching it. It has some genuine drama in it and some genuine suspense and some real shocks. So I am going to give it 6.5 out of 10 penmanship awards. <laughs> so that's my score. Um, Rob, would you like to go next? Yeah, I... Um... I'm going to be rating a little bit higher than that. But uh, like I said, I hate the... I, I'm like you. I hate the ending uh you're talking about like you know like some of like the the director was a little bit too infatuated with the the with the stage play and didn't quite adapt it quite as well as it could have been done uh but like all the things you're talking about like patty mccormick is like is she you know when you look at like like i can't think of anyone else that could uh at that time that could have played that character and she is so she plays it so well and i'll tell you why she plays it so well in the trivia portion but the um i like uh nancy kelly i think she's great as you know and you you kind of descend into madness with her because she is she essentially collapses in on herself she doesn't know what to do like and she ends up and she doesn't as a heroine she doesn't really rise to the occasion and like you know stop evil she just kind of she falls under the weight of it uh, yes. of, of the issue and i think and she, the way that she plays that is great um and I, like i said I, I like um i like leroy i think he's a great uh antagonist to rhoda i mean if you want to call if you want to call him that um that he's the only one that uh sees her for who she really is other than um you know uh christine and so that's great. And you got, you know, you have the great Monica Breedlove, who I, I can't think of anyone else who could play that. Like she, uh, I, I, Evelyn Varden is so good in that role as just this insufferable busybody that just, uh, you, you just, you love to hate her, but like, she's also like a really nice person at the same time. Um, you know, you have Hortense Daigle, who, I mean, she, she obviously of all the characters, she's the most stagey type of character. Like, it seems like, all the other characters are like exposition dumps like you know and that's based off because it is a kind of a stage production so you need to you know get that information to your audience quickly so that's what all the other characters do 
Um, but it's like I said, they, I think everyone, play, uh, and th this actually could have been in your, uh, women in horror month. Cause all your main mm -hmm. characters outside of Leroy are, mm -hmm. are women that, that drive yeah. this. Movie. Very female centric. Um, and it's, it, it, like I said, it's just, it's a great movie. It's a movie that I, I love. I'm, I'm glad that you brought me on for this. This for me is, yeah, it's like eight and a half out of, uh, 10 penmanship medals i i just i really like all these characters i love the movie hell i actually even bought the blu-ray of the movie so i could <laughs> so i you know when uh you guys brought me on to uh, as a guest so cool also I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it so much i always have this constant fear that when it's my pick like people are gonna hate it and then by extension like be mad at me for me oh no i was it. i was actually super excited when i found out a you guys were doing this film and then you wanted me as a guest because like i love this film too so it, it's it, this is a film i grew up watching as a kid and you know this is kind of the first time i've looked at it as an adult with a critical eye but yeah mm -hmm. i still i still really like this film i think it's great Rob, what'd i you love say? that you 8. said 5? you watched it yeah oh well, uh, yeah no i i did uh so you know uh my mom and my grandfather, like, uh, you know, they're the ones that kind of got me into because I, I love the Universal Monster movies. I like the old classic horror. So I grew up in like, you know, like the uh, the silent movies of like, you know, the Phantom of the Opera. I grew up with all like, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, yeah, uh, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, my grandfather had a lot of these movies, you know, like VHS tapes and stuff like so the, the Bad Seed was one of those ones that I watched all the time. And. I actually haven't watched it since that time period. So it was, it was kind of nice to come back as an adult and look at this in a more critical eye. And like I said, I still love it just as much as I did as a kid. I think those movies are good entry points for like young people to get into horror. Um, like as children, I mean, yeah. so in a way, like, first of all, it's not, you know, terribly graphic or gory or anything like that. Like it deals with disturbing material but oh, yeah. there's nothing like you know very graphic about it that I, I feel like it's okay for children of a certain age to watch but also I kind of have this fantasy about having my children watch some of these early films as entry points into horror when they get older because I don't want them to start out on like hereditary and it's like no. <laughs> if you start there first of all it's too yeah. much for kids but also if you start there, I think it would be harder to appreciate some of the older stuff. Like if you become accustomed right off the bat to like very modern horror sensibilities, I think it might be harder for a viewer to go back then and appreciate like silent films or black and white films. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm not articulating. Yeah, that well. it, no, it, it, right. that's exactly that's exactly right. You know, you want to uh, for me if, whenever I have kids, yeah, I'm going to start them off with like those you know great classics because mm -hmm. I want them to appreciate them. And it's like then you move on to like you know some of the more graphic stuff. Like you know, I'm not going to show them David Cronenberg's The Fly. I'm going to show them the Vincent Price version. Exactly, of the exactly. You know, because it, which is also a very disturbing film, and it's also yeah. really to show them The Brood. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, God. It, Jesus, <laughs> but no, it's it's. I want to show them that early stuff because that's all. Those films are what produced all these other great horror films that have now are a little bit more fucked up, you know. And it's more graphic than they were back in the day. And it's because a lot of the same rules that a lot of the these directors like Mervyn Leroy had to deal with, they don't have to deal with them nowadays. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, for better or for worse. Like, you know, in some cases it's better. 
Um, you know, you guys talked about that with like Nightmare Alley, you know, like the remake, it was able to be more realistic to what the book was as opposed to the original, though the original is still great. Um, but like then you have other films where like you have Lolita, Stanley Kubrick's Lolita from 1962, which had to, obviously it was a really fucked up film that dealt and it uh, but it's really good. And but because of the limitations, they had to be creative. Whereas the remake that was done in the the nineties was fucking horrible, and I, I inferior, I, I cannot watch that film. It's it just uh, it, it sickens me. Totally agree. The book is uh, the the writing in the book though is like absolutely amazing. Like oh yeah, it's great. It's Nabokov great. is like one of the best prose writers ever to live. Oh yeah, my opinion. But anyway, uh, so well, cool. I'm glad you're on the same page with me with that. Then, um, all right, Hydraberg. Uh yeah um I don't know Rob I, I I liked your review I was I'm kind of jealous of it and I think I might beat you with my shoe because oh, <laughs> <laughs> I too thought kind of highly of this film um so some pros I'll give you I I I really like the performances in this film I thought there were some really good ones uh mostly um and I. I I even wrote down like some of them are a little overacted, but that was more of a sign of the times and also a reflection of like the way the performance was given because it was taken from a book that was written into a play. And then this guy kind of just kind of tried to make the play into a film. Um, And you can just kind of, you can see that it's a reflection on the performances. I thought Patty McCormick is spectacular as Rhoda, like, this film was featured on 101 scariest moments in film recently. And that's where I, that's where it kind of came on my radar. I had heard about it, but like they show that scene where she demands her shoe back from Leroy, uh, Leroy or whatever. Oh, yeah. And like, <laughs> it's not ultimately scary, but like when you take it into context of like exactly what this little girl's capable of, yeah, it's, cool. it's creepy, especially in the time frame when it came out, like this was not a thing. Like we weren't getting horror movies left and right. And like you said, you were getting the universal monsters. It, evil people were more centered around monsters or things that made them monstrous. Not a normal person, not a child, a young girl who's pristine looking and, you know, pretty and, uh, you know, all the things that you want from a child, um, super polite. And But there's an evil side to it. So I, I really dig that. I also do really like Nancy Kelly's performance. Um, but I also can, I like, it is hammy. There's hammy moments of it, but I feel I could, it was weird. Like I could separate myself from watching it. When I watched it, I was like, normally I would be like, oh, this is cheesy. But I was like, this woman's still trying to deliver this role. Like I can see it in her performance, um, you know, but she's going within the the parameters b- built for her by the director or the studio or whoever, you know, whoever set those for her. Uh, I think she like, even Monica, like, yeah, like there's moments where like characters kind of come through the door and just like unload. Monica became a better character over time for me. But when I first was introduced to her, I was like, what is this lady doing? Like she's just unloading on us, all this dialogue. The I didn't know Yeah. But over time, I realized that like, yeah, she's like, she is insufferable, but at the same time, she's kind of a charming lady. And like, she does care about this family. You know what I mean? Um, she's not a bad person. Yeah, she's not necessarily a bad person. Um, you know, she speaks to Leroy in a in a bad manner because she thinks she understands psychology, all this, you know, and everything. But she read a couple books and she fucked Freud. But like she, <laughs> you know, ultimately, I could see this film being like 
seen negatively too on the way it kind of deals with mental illness and stuff but it was a sign of its time like at the time this was not the fact that it even brings any of this stuff to light i think is is interesting to me um and i commend it for that you know how many films are actually doing that um and there are layers to this film you know what i mean uh it's not just clear-cut like villain like even our young uh antagonist uh there's moments where you can see like she is a good child sometimes like she's she does want to like make dad and mom proud but like at the same time she's so consumed by all these other things her emotions get over the best of her and she's willing to kill to get what she wants and that's not okay um no it's not okay yeah you know, it's not okay i <laughs> i enjoy the idea of like hereditarily evil thing like um being a very interesting idea uh and like topic of this film uh the idea of like a sinister child or bad seed uh, i think it makes for an enjoyable story um and like i said to see like an antagonist played by a child is sort of startling um we've seen other films that have tackled it as well and it's i feel like the orphan and uh you know the good son or however you want to take those films i think there's always a moment where you're just like holy shit like this kid is evil you just don't expect it and to see them do something that an adult would even question possibly is interesting and i think it hits uh for a film especially from this time i think the film like from the era that like i don't enjoy this era as much as you guys do uh because of how differently the films are made then like i find sometimes the music to be silly in these films and it takes me out of it a little bit but when i focus on the performancing uh the performances and the the um the acting and the directing and what they were the limitations that they had i think you could kind of take yourself out of that and just put yourself in this time and enjoy the film for what it is and i think this is um i i thought it was just interesting uh i have an appreciation for them more now because of friends like you rob and jacqueline because of you also um and i respect the craft and like the good storytelling that I think a film like this does. I'm pleased to have friends like you guys uh, to introduce these films or like because of the podcast too, to make me watch a film like this. I didn't roll my eyes when I saw this film when we were going to tackle this film. I'm like, Oh, interesting. It fits well, thank you. for the theme. It fits perfectly for the theme. This is a creepy kid movie. You know, yeah. this is one of the first creepy kid movies from what we, what we're talking about. So, mm-hmm. and I think it's a classic that everybody should probably check out. Um, I think the music was a little silly at times also uh, as these films tend to be, but there were also moments that really perfectly hit for me, like tense moments where they, they had t- tension rose a little bit. And like you mentioned that piano scene in particular, that's definitely one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I like the, the, the nod to that piano scene again at the end, even though I don't love the ending, the fact that yeah. when she's, when she's leaving and she's just like, you know, uh, scraping the, the flashlight across the fence, which is just a stupid kid move to make noise. Like, yeah. But the fact that they're layering that with her frantic piano music is interesting to me because she's she's not well in the head. Her character, um, neither is yeah. her mother. Um, the uh, the performance of Nancy Kelly when she gives the sleeping pills to her and she won't even look at her while she takes them. She looks the other way. She can't even look at what she's about to do. She's doing it because it has to be done, but she can't even bear to look at it because she's killing her own daughter. And that's just sad. Regardless of what your daughter's done, that's your blood, you know, Um, that's her only daughter. And I think that, I think that scene hits especially well. And they kind of undercut it by having to like change the ending a little bit. Um, I think that ending was, 
I was just amazed that like she just killed her kid basically in the other room. And then she goes and I, once she went in the other new room, I'm like, they're playing into the revolver that they mentioned earlier. And then boom, we mm-hmm. hear the gun. Yep. And yeah. they could have ended it right there. And I would have been super satisfied. I would have been yeah. appalled, but like, that's fine. That's okay. Um, and You're I, supposed to be appalled by horror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just also, like I mentioned already, like, I just really, I appreciate like the film dealt with like, the mental state of a killer and like especially like a child's mind and it's interesting and it, it i feel like it was really daring at the time of an older film like this to tackle that um you know they have that warning uh about the spoilers about like not spoiling it for anybody and even if some of the views are like outdated and the ideas are like at the time i'm sure they were fresh and i just respect what what they went went for with this you know um from a you know a modernize uh you can see some issues but i'm not gonna like ding it too hard on that because it wasn't made nowadays like yeah. um but i have a couple dings it's a little long it doesn't feel super long to me like i never felt like oh god this is homework but like it is a little long it's two hours and like nine minutes when the credits are done rolling yeah um, i agree i don't think it needs to be that long yeah There's i don't think so that could be trimmed. exactly there were moments of overacting, uh, but I feel it's more because of like the error of the film and also because, like you, we mentioned, you know, it was created from a stage play. I mean, you could say Rhoda is overreacting, overreacting sometimes, but that's a, actually like a charm of her character, in my opinion, too, because it's mostly an act. So it's not like a huge thing because she's acting, overacting sometimes to like she's overacting for the adults. You know what I mean? She's like, yeah. You know, oh, I'm, I'm so innocent. I didn't understand. I was naive. You understood. You know exactly what you did. Um, and I, I kind of love that about her character. Um, and like my ding with that is more of a personal preference than anything. It's not necessarily a ding on the film. I also didn't love the final ending. Like Broda's demise. Maybe that was seen as God taking care of her. I don't know. But I just to me, it felt off. Um, I would have rather just she lived on with her dad, maybe, and he was unaware of the true evil he was harboring in his home. Like that would have been super interesting to me and dark. Um, it's okay that she lives. You know, not all bad people die. Um, sometimes the good people die. Um, or even if her mom lived, I don't know. Like, but she's like comatose, and we don't know what happens to her. Like, you could have played it that way. There are several different ways to play this ending that would have been better than a lightning strike hitting her. It was just, it just definitely took me out of the last moments of the film, which I was like, I was in it at that last section too. I was like, oh shit, she lived. Oh, cool. You know? Um, But yeah, with that said, uh, I'm going to give, I'm giving this film, um, I'm going to give the Bad Seed 7.5 out of 10 penmanship awards. Okay, cool. I kind of had a feeling that's where you were going. Like, I kind of knew you were going to say that. Jacqueline, um, what did you give it exactly? 6.5. 6.5. So 6.5, uh, 7.5, again, and 8.5. Once again, I'm the highest because I'm a, I'm a sucker. I, if I'm enjoying something, I tend to rate it pretty high. Like it's, uh, I just, you know, it's like, was it from Gladiator? It's like, are you not entertained? Like, I, <laughs> I, feel like I, could, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. could calm down lower, but at the same time, like I did enjoy this film and I respect yeah. what it does. And the performance of, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Rhoda. Patty yep. McCormick. I thought yep, that yep. was just pretty uh, enough that she stood out. Like she's in a hundred and one moments of horror. Like yeah. I feel hey, like that's like it's pretty iconic. Yeah. 
Definitely. Well, we're running quite long on time, but if you guys don't mind, could I give you just two little tidbits of trivia? Yeah, sure. We, we sprinkled a lot of trivia throughout the episode, I all did. of us. So, um, I, you know, we covered a lot. Uh, real quick, Alfred Hitchcock turned down the chance to direct this. What? So all I can think about, once I read that, all I could think about was like, what would this movie have been if it had been directed by Alfred Hitchcock oh, and starred man. Betty Davis? Like, what could that have been like in a parallel universe? What movie would we have like that? I can only imagine what that is. There's a certain movie he made around the same time that I the only one I can think of is The Trouble with Harry, which came out like a year before that. Um, I'm trying to think, yeah, because I have what came after, like, what would he have been gearing up to do after The Trouble with Harry? I think that was the North by Northwest was like right after this. Oh, so so that was big, seven or 58. So I think that was like his focus. He wouldn't have been very interesting if they had gotten Betty Davis but kept some of the other cast. Like, yes, I think you got to keep Patty McCormick. Yeah, oh, yeah, you do. So, Patty McCormick, this is my other tidbit, she was, you know, as I said, nominated for an Oscar for this. Up to that point, normally children um, who the Academy wanted to recognize for outstanding performances would just give them like an honorary Oscar for a child. But this was really the first time that a child had been nominated for a legit Oscar. And so it was kind of um, kind of like a, a, a she, she was kind of like a trendsetter in that way. Uh, and actually it. In we mentioned the miracle worker earlier, but um, in 1962, Patty Duke, you guys know Patty Duke. Yep. She first of all, interestingly, she chose her stage name Patty because of Patty McCormick, mm, that's right. and uh, she would become the first young star to win an Oscar for the miracle worker. And so, but that might not have happened without Patty McCormick. So, just wanted to throw that in there because I thought it was interesting and what? I love Patty Duke and I love the miracle worker and I thought it was yeah. kind of an interesting connection. So one that's, that's thing, all I got. Yeah. Yeah. One um, other quick thing about Patty McCormick uh, is that uh, well, and she's the last remaining cast member alive. Uh, I said that she credits her performance uh, based off like the direction of uh, Reginald Denham, who is the director of the Broadway play and the way that he like, cause a lot of people ask her, like, why, you know, how did this affect you as, as, a, as a person? Because you're a little kid acting as a serial killer. Like, did that affect you in any way? And the, she's like, the way that I was directed, and this is the way that I always played the character, is that uh, this, this particular director told her, you have to think about this. Rhoda is always right. You know, no matter what anyone else says, no matter what the adults say, you're always correct. And anything that she wants she is entitled to like that is that is her thing and so that's why like you know all the um and even though the characters had to die because of me you know because of this character it was okay because i was supposed to have that and they were in the way mm-hmm. that was the way that she was directed it's like and then for her that's how the character clicked because she's been playing this character since she was eight years old it's which is insane yeah. uh and so yeah when the movie came out she was like 10 or 10. 11 yeah yeah um the other, the only other one thing that I had too is, um, so Henry Jones, the guy who played Leroy Jessup, you horror aficionados would probably remember him from Arachnophobia as Doctor oh. Finn Metcalf. Oh, okay, I like yeah. that. He he, he was he was also in over a hundred and eighty films. Jesus H. Yeah. So, 
that's all I have and all the other trivia is within the review. So awesome. That's that's a good trivia piece. I kind of want to review arachnophobia sometime. Ooh, it's been a long time since I seen it. If you don't like it, bugs though. That, if you do that, I know I'll, I'll be in. A good movie. That's why that it's movie, so fucking scary to me. That movie terrified me and I've been They're remaking spiders ever since. Yeah. I watched that movie when it came out as a five year old or four year old mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm I'm scared of spiders ever since. So Me too. Me too. <laughs> All right. Well, that's so that is it for the bad seed. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, fellas. Thank you so much for that. Was a melange uh, of trivia that you gave us, if you will. Yeah, next week we'll be talking about a whole new movie called Children of the Corn from 1984. We have a special reason for covering that one, but I think I'll wait till next week before we reveal that special reason. So, um, Hyderberg, I believe you told me that Children of the Corn again, this is the Original, the original ni- 1984, mm-hmm. number the good, one. The good version. Uh, it's available on Amazon Prime for free. Is that correct? It is, yes. Heidelberg? All right. So you can watch it with no um, monetary barriers. So we'll be back next week with another special guest to share with you, uh, discussing Children of the Corn, continuing our creepy children theme for this month. Boy, what a theme. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, uh, it is. In the meantime, if you'd like to email us any thoughts about um, The Bad Seed, hit us up at acutabovehorrorreview at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at cutabovehorror. You can follow us on Instagram at acutaboveoneword.horror underscore review. And you can catch us on Facebook at acutabovehorrorreview. And also, don't forget to check out Circle of Jerks podcast with Rob and Andy um, on their YouTube channel, right? Is it just Circle of Jerks podcast? Is that right? Yeah, Circle of of Jerks podcast. Uh, We're all the same name on our Instagram, uh, Twitter, Letterboxd. We're at Podcast COJ. Awesome. And also, thank you so much to everyone out there who's given us um, a review and a five-star rating on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. Every time you give us a rating, it helps us out. Keep those coming. Let us know what you think of the show. We always welcome your feedback. So we'll see everybody next week when we'll be talking about Children of the Corn. And keep it creepy.